Good evening. This lecture will be Bezrat Hashem, Shiduch, no, Shiduch, yes, Shiduch, Ruben Chaim, Ruben Bezrat Hashem, and Hatzlacha for Shimshon Ben Levin. And Fuash Leman and Mordechai Ben Rachel. Yesterday I spoke in Queens, we covered about half of the parasha. One of the things we spoke about is the report that came out in the Israeli government that in Israel you have 100,000 couples that are intermarried. 100,000 Jewish people in Israel are married to non-Jewish people. If you add their children, it could be hundreds of thousands of non-Jews that already living in Israel like they are Jews. That means what I've been telling you for years, that in the next generation, the secular people, no one will know if his children marry a Jew or not. They won't know. Many, many family trees will be chopped off, will be cut. That's why today more than ever, if you want to make sure that your children and grandchildren will remain Jews, you have to be extremely careful and ultra-Orthodox. There's not no place for, uh, you know, cheating in a religion or becoming too modern because you never know what can happen. Generation or two and you're done. That's it, you're gone. After 3,300 years. Everything will be stopped. I don't know if you're aware of the story now that is everywhere in a community here of some Arab who came from Lebanon with Hezbollah, pictures and flags. And it was supposedly, I don't know if the details of the story is true because what you read in articles usually are incorrect. So to take whatever I tell you with a big question mark. But according to the story, he was seven years in uh, Chabad in Texas, and then he decided somehow to move to here, and somehow he ended up marrying a, a religious, a Syrian religious girl, a Jew, Syrian Jew. Someone sent me even a video how he said he's so lucky that he got the best girl and all that, and now they just found out. She found out that, that he's, he, has, he has a fake passport, fake name. Huh? He has few passports. He has few passports, few passports. And she found out that he has different names and so, spoke with, a new, with a new name. They googled him and found out that he's some kind of a Hezbollah. The FBI. So the FBI is on top of it. That's what I heard. Something in the story doesn't make sense to me. Because if this guy decided to be a terrorist, you know, he, he would have already attacked in the last seven years somewhere, no? Maybe he did, and we don't know yet. Maybe that's the next thing we'll find out. I don't think a terrorist will have to go through such a struggle, pretend to be a religious Jew, learn Hebrew, come to yeshiva, come to shul, dress like a religious Jew, go get married to a religious girl, all of that for what? To blow up some building? I don't know, something is very fishy. Very possible that he just liked the Jewish lifestyle and he wanted to pretend to be a Jew. Why wouldn't he convert? He had no plans to be religious anyway. You know? What's the point of converting if you know you're not going to keep the laws? It's a waste of time and money. 
we stay in Anjou and uh, it's a waste of time. So now everyone is in shock. The biggest story right now is how the rabbi that made that Kiddushin, whoever he was, did not check. Because every rabbi asked, first of all, if you're single or married. It's the front. Yeah, whatever, I don't know. It's, he didn't check. What, whoever was Mesader Kiddushin, how he agreed to marry a guy just because he looked religious. Sometimes we assume that someone that looks religious is actually a religious Jew. But you can see that a lot of it today is not, it's not true. You know, it's, I feel very bad for the girl, the poor girl. It's a real trauma, especially if you're a religious girl that you've never been with a man, and now you're going and you live in such an it was a second marriage. Yeah. That's a little bit of, of a relief. Are they allowed to spread her name? A little bit, not a lot. Are they allowed to spread her name? Is it less, like Lashonara for her, for her? First of all, you saw the video that runs. Yeah. You can see her in the video. So you cannot hide it anymore. The question is, was it allowed to show the video with her, with her picture in the video? Allah actually wasn't allowed. It was not allowed. She doesn't need to get even though she did nothing wrong in this story, she's not the criminal here, she's the victim. But even when you are a victim of a tragedy or of a trauma, you're most likely not interested that people, the whole world will know about it. It's a shame. You feel ashamed. And again, even though in this particular case she's 100% innocent, but you know how people are. Innocent, not innocent, it becomes the topic of the gossip of everyone around. So it wasn't not allowed, not allowed. A lot of people do not think before they circulate all kinds of videos about people or messages about people, not, not maliciously. They just don't, uh, don't think. And they forward it to their group and it goes to thousands of people. In the end, it causes a big harm to the person. So you gotta be very careful. So anyway, before we start, we're making Baruch Hashem a lot of updates to the app. We're improving, we're fixing the live broadcast, the menu will be better. It works better and better, Baruch Hashem. Everybody has to turn on the notification button. Like this, before there's a lecture, you get a text. You get a pop-up that tells you that this lecture is about to start. Uh, also, we made a new website also, aramizrahi.org. State of the art. You should look at it. You know, it's amazing how it is, how we design everything. Baruch Hashem, tzaddik. This guy, in his free time, works every day to make things better and to spread Torah to more people. Today I found out something very interesting. I don't know anything about Instagram. I don't know how to use it. I don't know how to even enter it. It took me a long time in the past to learn about Facebook and I haven't been there already for two years. Now wasting time on these liberals. I can't even look at the, the picture. I hate them so much, these liberal traders. And I found out that Instagram is also owned by them. And what's up? And what's up? One Rasha occupies the whole world. 
But I found out that uh, about a year ago, somebody told me, would you like me to open for you an Instagram page? I said, what is he going to do? So we spread lectures, videos. It goes to a lot of secular people. Where are you going to find them? You can't find them in the street here. And they don't come to the lectures. So you might as well bring the lectures to them. I said, what do I have to lose? You know? Today I found out that in less than a year we already have 50,000 people there in a page. It grew up very nicely. And lots of video people watch. That was encouraging news. But at the same time, I'm not so happy from the turnaround of the last three lectures. I don't know what happened. The numbers are down. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to reduce the number of lectures that I do by 50%. So we're going to have less lectures. Why? Because anyway, if you will do, you make a lecture and half of the people don't watch, what's the point? You do one lecture and it's enough. You know, anyway, on December, December 5th, I go to Israel for three weeks. For the month of December, there will be basically almost no lectures. So basically, we're going to post, we're going to try to post one or two lectures a week now more. Hopefully, you know, people will find time to watch. The whole point is, when you do something, you want it to be productive. You see that you put the efforts, and in the end, it's not as productive as you expect. You have to think again, if that's what you want to continue to do or not. I don't know, from the last four lectures, one did very well, and the other three, which were very good lectures, just as good as the other one. Not less, for sure. But people follow the name. They look at the name. They don't like the name they already assume that the whole three hours are not good because the two words in the title, it's not something that appealed to them. And I kept saying it, it's so stupid to generalize like this by a name. What is the name what tell you? Don't put a name. What is the name? What does the lecture tell you about the lecture? I also thought about your idea not to put name, to just number the lecture. Lecture number 5,220. Mm -hmm. Lecture 5,000. But you'll be surprised, I will make it worse. <laughs> right now, if the name is good, people at least watch it. If it's going to be just a number, probably nobody will. Why did you say news? Or current events? If you say current events, you have double amount of people, believe it or not. But one person actually explained to me why. You want to hear his explanation? He said to me, Rabbi, I want you to know, since I started to listen to your lectures, Baruch Hashem, I don't listen to the news at all. Because to listen to the news, it's not kosher, there's always commercials there, bad things. So now at least I get an idea of what's happening. And at the same time, you connect it to what's happening in the world, in the Torah. So it's good, you learn Torah, plus you learn what's yeah. happening in the world. If that's the case, we got to give more news. Maybe we should turn the whole lecture to them. No, Maybe we'll call it the Flatbush News. Maybe we should put the name of the parsha. Name of the parsha is the worst option. Because for you, and for him, and for him, it will be good. But for people that are 50-50, they have to tell them what Bayet says. Ochayesara. You think they know what it means? Maybe just write, watch to find out what's all about. <laughs> that's, how they, that's how they attract people, you know. They say, they take the name of a celebrity. Let's call him John Smith. 
What did John Smith had to say last night in a party? <laughs> Five million idiots have to find out. They're going to see it an hour now until they finally get it. So yesterday, we got to about 50% of the parasha, and uh, we are now in a story of Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov is tricking Esav to sell him the Bechorah, meaning I'm the firstborn, Esav, you the youngest one, Yaakov, even though it's a minute apart. Yaakov wants to buy the Bechorah from Esav. What for? What for? What's the significance of the Bechorah? When the father die, the Bechor will inherit double? Do you really think Esav is that stupid that he will give up millions of dollars? Father Yitzchak is a very, very rich man. With all the wealth, with Avimelech. Avimelech told him, you are wealthier than all of us, than the king even. You are wealthier. Sorry, the shut it off completely, that no phones will ring. You give me all the terutsim you want, not one of them makes sense to me. Rashi writes that he did not believe in Olamada. Meaning, what's the connection between being firstborn or secondborn to Olam Abba? I don't understand. What's the connection? Okay. If you're firstborn, you have a better Olam Abba? Who's to say? If you're, if you're righteous, you're going to have a better Olam Abba, whether you're the firstborn, whether you are the tenthborn. I heard that yeah. Esau knew that the Bukhur will suffer, and that's right. So he didn't want Tell me, what does it mean that Yaakov said to Esav, Kayom, sell it to me like today. What does it mean? This word doesn't belong in the verse. What does it mean? Sell it to me like it's today. Sell it or don't sell. What does it mean? Like it's today. Special day. Rashi said. Special day, no? Just like the day, the day you see, it's day. But you have no regrets. Clearly, special day. Clearly. Let's see. The Maharil Midiskin. He said, technically, Esav should have not given up the Yerusha. Yitzchak. One day will pass, and he is going to take two thirds, and Yaakov is going to take a third. Takes two, double than the second ball. Yitzchak is a very wealthy man. It cannot be that Esav is that stupid that for soup, for lentil soup, is willing to give millions of dollars. You know anyone in the world today that is that stupid? That will, for lentils, as, how, as hungry as you are. Motzei Yom Kippur. You're starving, and someone just bought Delicious chulen from the gas station in Borough Park. Ah, and he said, give me, give me some, here. He said, sign over here, sign me your house in, in Borough Park. Three million dollars, sign me your house, I'll give you the whole thing. You know that fool? Biden. Biden, yeah, Biden. 
and the rest of the idiots around him, I don't know who, who makes who dumber. He makes them dumber or they make him dumber. But today I heard something new that I want to give $450,000 to every illegal immigrant that came here and Trump separated him from his children. Trump is trying to save the future of this country to give the, the, the immigrants reason not to come to America, to make it hard for them that they won't pay to come to America. So he is doing everything he can to stop this and now they're blaming him that what he did was not ethical. So if these criminals who smuggled into the country, if they got offended that you took away their kids and they didn't see them for a few weeks because you were in a jail and maybe they were in a different jail or, or they sent them back and you are in one country and they are in a different country or the rest of the story, you're gonna give them the amount, the amount. Okay, give him $5,000. No, no. I take a Mexican and give him $5,000. That's a year of work for him. A year of work. It's like giving an American $60,000, $70,000 in Mexico. I had guests by me on Shabbat. One, uh, one was from Argentina, from Buenos Aires. I asked him how much a worker in Argentina makes in one month of work. The whole month. The whole month he works. How much? Like the price of one tire of our car. One tire. It's about 300 bucks, good tire, you know? So if you want to buy a tire in Argentina to buy this tire, you have to work a whole month to buy one tire. Whatever food, rent, no food, no rent. So what do you, what, how much they make? $300 a month. A month. If a Jew makes $300 a day here in Flatbush, a day, is uh, below poverty. It's not enough for anything. You cannot put food on the table. If you make less than $300 a day. Over there it's a month. So now taking a Mexican or I don't know anybody else from uh, South America or Central America that smuggled himself into the country and wants to give him $450,000, that's like giving an American who will smuggle to Mexico four and a half million dollars, the ratio. Do you think the Mexicans are that stupid? That an American will break into Mexico from the border and will be caught and they separate him from his children, that the Mexicans will give him an amount that is equal for a few years of work? Who's that stupid? Find me someone dumber in the whole world. Fine! Find someone that is more stupid than this government. With the inflation, with what's coming now, I don't understand what's happening to this government. Where they, where they think to get all these trillions of dollars? I also heard he wants to waive all the student loans. That's alone going to be another 20 trillion dollars, probably. Besides the 40 that you already have a debt. 
I think a war between United States and China is just a matter of time. Today they reported that China training in some, some place in the desert against American boats. They made a demo of American boats. The actual boat, they took it and they actually built it just for the, for the purpose of training. And the Chinese are training how the day will come that they have to go to war with America. And, and I don't have to tell you the difference between an American soldier with the donut and the beer and, uh, and smoking and the rest of the stuff to a Chinese warrior, what's gonna happen in the battle. I don't have to tell you who's gonna win, right? You don't need to be a genius to understand. They're gonna come like millions of millions of them. There's nothing you can do. There's nobody will be able to to win a war against them. And they are training. And they are serious. And over there there's no drugs. And there's no alcohol. And there's no human rights. And there's no stupid democracy. And if someone is gay there, he will make sure no one ever will find out about it. And if he will show any feminine sign, that will be the end of him. Soldier he cannot be. So, with an army like this, we have no chance ever, ever to go to a war. So why is there going to be a war? The answer is because the politicians are stupid enough to do it. That's number one. Number two, we may, they may not even choose the war. The Chinese may choose the war. Yeah. Why? Because it's just a matter of time until the United States would say to China, we cannot pay you the interest on the money. We have by us $20 trillion or whatever the number is. The interest is many millions every day. And I'll tell them we're sorry, we're defaulting on a loan. I had once an idea, if I was the president, I would print a coin. One coin, one time print. $20 trillion. And I'll give it to them, here. United States made a special coin, $20 trillion. Here's the money we owe you. We paid you. That's it. That's the thing with writing a check, no? That's not writing a check. Now, now, find a bank that will agree to accept that coin. Good luck with that. I gave you, that's it. I paid you and I don't owe you anymore. I don't owe you anymore the... I do not owe you the debt and I don't pay you the interest. The problem is that they won't walk by the Chinese. And it's probably going to be a war. That's what's going to be. The question is, when is it going to be? In five years from now? In ten years from now? Who knows? We'll sit and wait. One thing I want to, I want to tell you, why it didn't happen until now, because the Chinese do not have an alternative. If they get into such a war with the United States, they lose all the American customers. How are they going to feed two billion Chinese? Everything they make comes to this country. Almost everything is exported to here. So what does Hashem do? It will be very complicated to understand. Let's go back to what we started. So give me please a reason why why Yaakov is interested to buy the Bechorah? By the way, when you have twins are born in one delivery, who is older? The first one that comes out or the second one? Second one. First one. 
Second one was created first. Yeah. It created inside. And then the second one is created closer to the exit. So the one that comes out is few hours of, or a day maybe younger. He, he was completed few hours later. <laughs> Meaning the second one is actually a little bit older. Of course, nobody cares about it, but okay. What happened? What happened if one baby takes his head out and take it back in? And then the second one comes out. Who was really the Bechor? The body that came out or the head that came out? So the first one who make even a partial exit is already born. Yeah. Tov. So the Maharil Diskin explained. So Esav obviously will not give up on Yerusha. His father Yitzchak is very rich. After he inherited all the wealth of Abraham. But remember, he was rich even besides Abraham, regardless. But now with all the wealth of Abraham, which one of the richest people, so Yitzchak is Mamash, the owner of Tesla and Amazon combined. You know? So now, <laughs> Yaakov wants to be the Bechor, and Esav said to him, listen, what do you think, I'm, I'm a fool? It's $300 billion waiting for us to inherit. I take 200, you take 100. You give me the soup now and you want to take 200, $100 billion for that soup? You want me to run? You really think I'm that stupid? So obviously it wasn't the case. So what's really happening here? So he said to him, Meaning, all the assets that our father Yitzchak has, it's all yours, the double share is yours. From now on, what he will gain, that will be mine first and after that yours. Meaning I'll take two thirds and you take a third. But you don't have to worry about it, because he's an old man and he's blind and he's not going to earn any more, that much more. So it's peanuts. But for everything you already had, is yours. Why? Because the deal we're making is kayom. From today on. That's why you have it in the verse. From today on. So don't worry about the money. So the purpose of this trick is not money. Now tell me please, how does it connect to Olam Abba? This is what I don't understand. It's Rashi, Kli Rashi. Because the Rukhoro is supposed to do the Avodah. And he doesn't want that. I saw. No. Yaakov wanted it because he wants to do that. You know, as they have the Avodah of the Korbanot. Huh? They have the Avodah of the Korbanot. Yeah, yeah. But still, if he doesn't want to do it, he can still go to First of all, there's no Avodah yet. We are talking... We're talking future. Maybe when we got the blessing, maybe all the Jews came out of So now, Rabotai, there is consequences to it. Why? Because after Esav agree, after Esav agree, he said uh, that Yitzchak gave Yaakov the blessing, Yaakov really deserved the blessing as, as, as the Bechor. So there was really no tricking. I bought it from you. I bought your share. What do you want? 
The point is, why did Yaakov give him also bread? He didn't ask for bread. Bread makes the naked. He actually wanted. He actually wanted the nazid. Pour it to my mouth. That's all he asked for. Why Yaakov bothered to also give him bread? Because he could come because back with an excuse. Because he had an excuse. If he's starving, he was forced. Like this, you're not starving. Very good. That's the secret. If later if you would only give him the nazi, the soup, then he had a claim. But now he gave him two things. One, it's enough to save your life. You also wanted something else. That something else was not a life risk. So you cannot say that you agreed to do the deal only because your life was in a risk. Because if your life was in a risk, it's enough just this. Why you need that also? So if, it, if, if the deal is not on that, the deal goes on the second food that I gave you, when you were already full. One of them he ate first, right? Either the bread or the soup. If he ate the bread first, then the soup is no life risk. If he ate the soup first, then the bread is not life risk. Right? One of them will save your life already. So there's a trick here. I'll give you an example. If you ever make a deal with someone, let's say a real estate deal, he wants to buy a place, renovate it, and sell it, and doesn't have enough money, so he's looking for a partner. So you're going to be a partner in a deal. You do it a risk. Either you're going to make half of the profit in the end, when the house will be sold, or you want to make monthly. But you're not allowed to charge monthly because it becomes a loan with interest. So what do you do? You sign a partnership agreement. It's called heteriska. Heteriska you sign, and automatically, no, automatically, you become a partner, for good or for bad. That's why a lot of people don't know. The difference between a loan and a partnership is that when you give someone a loan and he does any default on the loan, you can repossess his assets, even his private home. Right? It's a loan. Take his car, take his watch, take whatever he has. But when you make a partnership agreement on a specific property, if the property goes down or got burned or there was no profit, you have to be equally responsible also for the losses. So how do you do such a stupid deal? Someone is not going to put any money. You will put all the money, and he's going to have negligence, and he's not going to be in a rush to fix the house. And in the meantime, it takes, instead of six months, it takes two years. And in the end, after all the, all the work, there was not that much profit left. So you're the only one who lost it. He doesn't have what to lose. He didn't put money. Who would want to do such a stupid deal? So how do you go around it? How do you go around it? You write in the agreement, I become your partner in all your assets, not just this house you build or this restaurant you're opening. I, For how long? I buy partnership in everything you own. You own a pizza shop, I'm a partner. You own a Mercedes, I'm a partner. 
יהיו לנו פרטנר עם פלורידה, אני פרטנר. יהיו לנו רולקס וואץ', 50,000 דולר, אני פרטנר. יהיו לנו פרטנר סמוואר אלס, אני פרטנר. אם הפרטיקלר דיל יגיע, תפעי לי מהאחר דיל זאת אני פרטנר. ביי מי אאוט. So only if he lost all his properties and he come and swear in a bad deed and he have nothing left, that's when you lose your money. Now you reduce the chance to lose the money by 95%. Because there's always going to be something to collect from. So what happened if this person was robbed? You gave him uh, $100,000. Today nobody does cash transactions like this, but in the old days, let's say someone gave him $100,000 in a suitcase and someone came and robbed him before he actually invested it in a building. What, what happened to you now? Who's responsible, him or you? It's a swear. It's a swear that he was a Is he Shomer Chinam? Or is he Shomer Sachar? What kind of a shomer is? What kind of, work, of, of, of responsibility he has on your money? If he, if he left the money somewhere with negligence, he must pay you back the money. But let's say he was, there was no negligence. Someone broke into his house in the middle of the night, climbed for, you know, it was a real operation. Broke into the house and stole the suitcase. What happened in this case? He doesn't have to pay you. He comes, he swears he did not have any negligence. And you lost your money. How do you protect yourself from such a case? You give him one dollar when you sign the contract. Here, take. What's this? I nominate you to be Shomer Sachar, that you're responsible for my money even when there is no negligence. Just like you put the money in a storage and there was a flood. No negligence, that's not the fault, it was a hurricane. And all your stuff got damaged. Because you paid the money, they must pay you in full everything you had over there. They're responsible. But if they allow you to put your stuff for free in a storage, and there was a hurricane there, then you cannot sue them in Bedin. But not only I'm doing you a favor, now I have to pay you for, for, for natural damage. But if I'm paying you every month, or even one time, to, to watch it for me, It makes you fully responsible no matter what happens. So when you're given that dollar and you write in a contract, the investor paid the principal X amount of money to make him Shomer Sachar on the money, you protected yourself in the best possible way. Of course, if Hashem wants you to lose money, Trust me, you'll find a way. In a way that you would never dream. Just like when he wants you to make money, you'll make money in a way you never dream. Who would ever believe that in a few weeks there's going to be a corona and they're going to make millions of dollars in selling masks? Yeah. And the price of a mask will be $7, even though it's not worth a cent. <laughs> Who would ever believe such thing? Who did ever believe that he would be laying in bed all day eating popcorn and getting uh, $800 from the government every week, eating burgers from McDonald's? 
and playing some basketball with the, with the brothers on the street. Who would ever believe such thing? If you tell people, you know, in two weeks, you're going on a paid vacation of one and a half years. Sleepy Joe is going to send you checks every week. And anyone would believe that, you know, when a person wants something, that's what's happened. That's it. Now, next question. Rivka said to Yaakov to go to Haran. Why? The brother wants to kill you. He took the blessing from him. He won't leave you alone. He's looking for revenge. So I want you to run away, go to the city of Haran. Right? Why should I lose both of you in the same day? You know, I have a fight, you kill each other. Go. Rashi say, Hashem gave a Ruach HaKodesh, like a prophecy. Because in the end, they both died in the same day. They both died in the same day. How did they die in the same day? In the funeral of Yaakov, Esav came, and Hushim ben Dan was dead, son of Dan. He saw some kind of something about Esav that he thought he's saying one thing, but he was really saying something else. He got angry and chopped his head off, and the head rolled into Me'arat HaMachpelah. And we have an halacha, when, uh, when someone died, where his head is, that's where you bury him. You must bury him there, cannot move him. Because met konet mekomo, when you die, the place where you die become yours. So if you want to be a rich guy, die on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, or Park <laughs> Avenue. You're going to have over there six feet by one feet. It's already worth like $50,000, you know? It's very expensive. Or in Beverly Hills, maybe. You don't want to die in a bad neighborhood. What are you going to buy? A garbage can over there? Of course, it's a joke. Because even if it's going to be worth a million, what are you going to do with that? They have to bury you there. You know, today, by the way, this rule doesn't apply because today we have cemeteries. So we don't bury everyone everywhere. It's organized. Top. Rashi says she had Ruach HaKodesh. And really, they both died. Hushim ben Dan, he took a stick or so. Hit him on the head and killed him. Why? 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 Because he did not let Yaakov go into Me'arat HaMachpelah. I'm older, I should be there. Why is he getting Me'arat HaMachpelah? Vayomer Esav, and Esav say, I'm going to die. What do I need Bechorah? How do you say Bechorah in English? Firstborn. Firstborn. There's no word for it. Firstborn. Birthright. 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 Birthright means birthright is for everyone, even for the second born. Birthright. Firstborn. Firstborn birthright, I guess. Besed, I don't know. We'll learn one day to speak English. If not in this world, maybe in the next one. So Esav say, I'm going to die anyway. What do I need to have the title of a firstborn? It's like kicking it. Just like the Gemara that Hashem would tell the Goim, go to the Sukkah. 
זה גויים קומפליין, we didn't get any מצווה, give us a מצווה, נשם גבל מסוכה, and a kick the סוכה, the same thing I said. Not only doesn't want the בכורה, he kick it. ואייבז. ביזיון. So, ואייבז. That day who passed? Abraham Avinu. And that's why Yaakov made lentils. Lentils is food of people that are mourning. Right? Lentils and eggs. It's food for mourning. So, why would Yaakov made this lentil soup for whom? For Yitzchak. Yaakov now is on the roll of Esav. Esav was always feeding Yitzchak and taking care of him. Now Yaakov is making him this lentil. Why? Because it's Nikum Avelin. So, Rabbi Yochanan in the Gemara says, five big sins Esav committed that day. Five sins. One of them, which I don't understand until today, he went with a married woman, Nara Meorasa. First of all, we all know, we heard it many times over here, that the Goim don't have marriage. They don't have an obligation to get married. Chris and Christina met in a bar, and they like to move in together five minutes later, and they want to have, a, you know, a, to, to become like a, like a couple another five minutes later, decide that they like each other. That's it. No performing, no, no performing any ceremony needed, nothing. So the question is, if by the Goim there's no marriage, so who did the Sav go with? What kind of a married woman? Remember, there was no Judaism yet. The woman didn't break up. It's a woman Yisra. There's Machloket in the Gemara if Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov are Goim or Jews. Bnei Noach. Or they consider Jews. They are Hebrews for sure. Hebrews. Abraham is Ivri, Yitzchak Ivri, Yaakov Ivri. It's a family of the Ivri. But there was any Judaism yet? There's no Torah given yet. We're talking two, three hundred years before Matan Torah. We do know that Noah knew parts of the Torah, and even Adam Arishon, and Shem, and Abraham kept all the Torah, the Gemara said, everything. Even though the Torah was not given, but Hashem told him all the mitzvot, what to keep. Therefore, Yitzchak kept the mitzvot, and Yaakov kept the mitzvot, and Esav pretend that he kept the mitzvot. Pretend. So, even though there was no official law of marriage, and there was no marriage yet, and everyone was Ben Noach, because the family of the Hebrews were keeping all the mitzvot, once you accept on yourself, it's like a vow. For instance, Shabbat start at 8 p.m. in the summer. You want to start Shabbat at 7 p.m. 7 p.m. You already do Kiddush. You allowed or not allowed? Yes. You allowed to, have, to add extra to Shabbat. Once you did Kiddush or you pray Arvid for Shabbat, and now you forgot something. Can you drive the car? No, of course not. Why not? It's light. It's light outside. If you get into the car and drive, did you break Shabbat? The answer is yes. 
would you be stoned to death? No. Yes. No. Why not? Because in the world it's not Shabbat yet. It's a vow. You're breaking a vow. Are you consider Mechalel Shabbos that I can give you stoning? No. Mechalel Shabbat in the Torah gets a death penalty by stoning and his soul is permanently cut from the afterlife for eternity. That's written in the Torah of Hashem. But if he started Shabbat an hour earlier and then he realized that he forgot something and he went into his car panicking and drove to the place. What if he's not the soul and not to do it? What if he had two witnesses that were in shul with him and told him not to do it? Two witnesses saw him and gave him warning. Hey, you accepted Shabbat. You say, yeah, I did, but the whole world is still driving. Can they execute him? No. Because really from the Oraita, there was no Shabbat yet. So what, what violation he actually had? Neder. He broke a vow. He broke a vow. Anything that you do three times systematically, you accept on yourself and you already did it three times, it's an obligation for you. You want to stop, you have to do atarat nedarim. You bring to three people, they read a special thing from the Sidur, you read, they read, five minutes, you finish the whole thing and you cancel all your vows. Yes. If he, light, if he lights a candle, so he didn't take to himself to establish what? Oh, now you're asking a good question. If lighting candles actually making you already in Shabbat, For accepting the Shabbat. The answer is, and I don't know if you know, or you probably know, but most people don't know, that uh, there is 18 more minutes after candle lighting that it's still day. It's not Shabbat. Candle lighting is 18 minutes before sunset. Sunset, Shkia, meaning that's when Shabbat officially begins. Shabbat, if today was sunset around 5, let's say, right? So, candle lighting will be around 4.42. You have 18 more minutes. So if you're a single man, you don't have a wife. She doesn't light candle now. You light yourself. You can light candles and drive to the shul. Let's say the shul is a 20 minutes walk. You don't want to start walking now. You light the candle and you get in the car and you drive. You a man. A woman can also do it? No. Yes. A woman has to do once a year a condition that she does not accept Shabbat by candle lighting. She will accept Shabbat 18 minutes after candle lighting and sunset. Therefore, if she forgot to turn the, air, the AC on, or if she forgot to set up the timer in the oven, or she forgot to put water in a, in a, in a, in a dish, or whatever she's cooking, she will still have 18 minutes and she can do everything she wants. Everything. Turn the fire on, turn the lights on. Even though she lit candle, she has to do one condition per year. What happened if a woman didn't know it? And for years she thought that whenever she light candle, it's Shabbat for her. And now she wants to use the 18 minutes extra. But she's already two, three years accepting Shabbat and candle lighting. She never did anything after that. She had to do a tarat netarim. She sits in front of three men. She reads from the Siddur that all the vows she made, even though she never say in her mouth, I'm making a vow to accept Shabbat and candle lighting. She actually never said it. Her but her actions already proved that she did. And since she repeated it at least three times, 
Therefore, she has to do atarat nedarim. But, sometimes, you know, there are people that have bad names. There's a lot of Jews that their parents were ignorant, and they didn't know, and they called them terrible names. Nimrod, Herzl, Mutzi, Putzi, <laughs> Tommy, all kinds of stupid names. And now, they one day become religious, and they hate the name they have. Wow, it's an embarrassment. I'm a religious man, people call me Nimrod. Nimrod it was like the Hitler of the Torah. Imagine somebody, hey Adolf, how are you? Shkoya, Misha Berach, Avotenu, Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Uy, Varechet, Adolf, Ben Henry. Imagine what an embarrassment. So obviously it's not good. He has to change the name. How do you change a name? One day you make yourself a new name and that's it. That's the problem. One day you're going to have to get married. You have to know what to write in a ketubah. It's critical. Huh? Oh. So when they read the Torah on Shabbat or Monday and Thursday, you have to tell the rabbi or the gabai there to make your special mission berach and to add v'ikare shmo be'israel, whatever it is, Yosef, Yosef Chaim. Usually when they change names, they add Chaim to someone that is sick or chai. That's the most common changing of a name. If the name is not a Jewish name, Goish name, so they give him a Jewish name. He never had a Jewish name. So they say the Nosach, Ve'ikare Shmo O Shma, if it's a woman, Shma, Be'Israel, Sarah, Rachel, whatever. Let's see, Korim La, her name is Sandra. What's your Jewish name? I don't know. My parents were in Russia, in Russia, communist. They didn't give me a Jewish name. You don't want to stay with his name, you want to have a Jewish name. Ah, which Jewish name you like? You have Yael, you have Avigail, you have Sarah. She chose a name, Adassah. After she chose a name, how do you make the name official? She has to come to the shul and ask somebody to tell the rabbi or the gabai to make her a special mishberah. How, how is it going to be the mishberah now? Her name is Sandra now, and you want to turn it into Sarah. So you say, מי שברך אבותינו אברהם, יצחק וישראל, הוא יברך את סנדרה, בת, such a, whatever mother's name is, right? ויקרא שמה מהיום בישראל שרה. שרה, בת, whatever her mother's name is, יעל, whatever. Is now officially her name changed or it's not good enough? It needs... She needs to get three times Misha Berach with his name. It was the first one. They just did, uh, they called her uh, Sarah Bat Yael. Before it was Sandra Bat Yael. But she doesn't like this name. She doesn't want to have a Goy name. So what happened now? We changed her name to Sarah. It's not enough. It did not repeat three times. Something that does not have a routine, systematic thing. It's not official. You make Mishra three different days, or you can do three times. Three, three different days. Three different days. Do we need to back to when you get married? Do you have to put the old, the old names? No, that's it. Once you made a Jewish name, that's a new name. Sometimes they write in a ketubah the nickname. For instance, Yosef. Many people in Israel call you Yossi. So they write Yosef Amechune Yossi. Okay, that's not. Yeah, that's not.
You cover all angles. That's why I get. What does it go by? By what your by parents call you in your Brit Milah or what people actually call you every day? By get you have to I, had, I, I was in Brit Milah last week. A boy, son of my son of my good friend. We always called him Nathan. Nathan. And in a Brit Milah, when they name the baby, they say, son of Raphael. I told him I made a mistake. So I say to him, Mother Raphael, Nathan. I thought his Hebrew name is Nathan. Apparently Nathan is the English name. <laughs> he has an Hebrew name, Raphael. How does he get to... Who knows? Americans. Go and try to understand Americans. It's a little bit difficult. So, you know, so we got it. So now let's move on. So, Esav went with a married woman. What does it mean, married woman? She devoted herself to another Goy. She's a Goya. There's no Jews yet in the world. And she devoted herself to this uh, Ahmed. You know, so this Fatma is together with Ahmed living already like husband and wife. They don't need marriage, but it counts like marriage. Like three times. And Esav go and made a sin with her. That's what it means, Baalamat. Five sins he made that day. So, the question is, what's the specialty of this Nazis, of this lentil soup? Why the death of Abraham caused a Sav to be kofer, an infidel? The funeral of Abraham, his grandson becoming today an infidel. What caused it? Vayazed Yaakov Nazid. Amar lo, mativo shel Nazid. What's so special about this scene? He said that Avraham passed, that's why I'm making it. Amar lo, beoto azaken paga midat adin. Esau is disrespecting his grandfather. That old man, the judgment hit him. Amar lo en. Say yes. He say, you know what? If, that, if that's the case, I don't want now no reward from God and no resurrection of the dead. Do you understand what's happening here? You have a grandfather. Your grandfather is Dolador. You are not exactly so religious. You pretend to be. Pretend. You come, you see your brother making lentil soup. What happened? Grandpa died. Ma? Grandpa died? Such a tzaddik? How come? What do you mean, how come? Everyone dies in the end. What do you want him? To live forever? Oh! If that's the case, I don't want to believe in anything, and I don't care about Ulam and I don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, what's the connection? Maybe, maybe this is the answer to the question about Rashi saying that I saw the the question is, what made Esav get so angry like this and speaking like this against Hashem? HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised to Avraham Avinu You will join your fathers with peace. Which fathers? As a father, it's not such a great honor to join his father, the idol worshiper. Who was his father, Terah? Selling idols. So the Hashem said to Abraham, don't worry, you will rest with peace 
with your fathers. Who wants to be with them? I don't want to be where they are. Ah, so his father did tshuva. Terach made tshuva before he died, when he was an old man. Before he made tshuva, Terach was doing everything he can to move to Israel, to Eretz Knan. And Hashem did not let him. Not only that, Hashem made Avram run away from him. Why? Hashem doesn't want you to live next to your wicked father? The answer is no. He doesn't want. Hashem is not sentimental and emotional like people. He goes by what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes what's right comes with pain. It's painful not to go to your sister wedding. Today I had a question like this. From Israel. Baal Tshuva Tzadik. From the email you can see that it's three years already very religious. Family all Reshaim. His parents, brother, sister, all of them wicked. Sister getting married in a worst possible wedding. Dancers, mix, and goish music. The worst thing. Now he doesn't want to go. But his question is, does he break the law of respecting the parents by not going to the wedding? He doesn't care about the wedding. He doesn't want to be there. So he's not going to sit home and cry, oh, I cannot dance in my, my sister's wedding. No. The question is, he does not want, while he's trying to commit a mitzvah, to commit a sin at the same time. So he's asking, is that a sin? Because his parents are begging him to come. Don't embarrass us when you're not going to come to your sister's wedding. What kind of a brother you are? You know how the emotions work here. What's the halacha? You're allowed to go to a mixed dancing? No. Not allowed. Not allowed. Not allowed. They to go there to see women dancing in front of you. So you're not allowed. You're allowed to eat chazir in a wedding of your sister? But that's the meal she served. If you don't eat, you offend me, Moshe. I know you're religious, but for your sister, you don't love me, I raised you. Eat chazir. Eat some shrimps. No, no, I can't eat. It's not kosher. You're offending me. Of course. You, you are more important than Hashem. With all due respect. So the question is, to the wedding, there's no doubt that he's not allowed to go. The question is, what about the chupa? Chupa. Chupa, people sit, and they watch the show. The kala will not be dressed mades, absolutely. The mother will not be mades, absolutely. The mother of the chatan will not be mades, and the sister, everyone dance under, stand under the chupa, like they're going to the beach. Not to a wedding, obviously. But who told you to look? Close your eyes. Then bring a little gemara. Sit there and read. So the question is, we have two sides to the coin here. One side, you're not allowed to go to the chupa. What are the reasons? People commit a crime against God. People commit the worst Hilul Hashem. And you as a religious person who try to be righteous, you're going to sit there together with people who make declare a war against God and His laws? How can it be? What's the other side? The other side is... It's going to tear the family apart. It's going to be fights, no unity anymore. They're going to hate the religion more. 
So maybe it's better to compromise, just come to the chuppah 20 minutes, close your eyes, don't look at anyone. After all, there's no mixed dancing. That's the main problem, the mixed dancing. So since there's no mixed dancing, you're just gonna see your sister and her husband breaking the glass. And after that, you quickly get up and run. Now I wanna ask you another question. There is any possible way that a big rabbi is going all the time to mix dancing wedding and it's not a sin for him? Is it possible? Rabbi, where were you last night? I went to the wedding. Which wedding? What? Stone Vamora. How did you go to such a place? Every night he goes to a different wedding. He doesn't actually come at all to the chuppah. He showed up just when the dancing are about to start. Listen, listen carefully. He say to them, when they see me, such a famous big chacham, they get shocked. Whoa, what an embarrassment. So they don't start the dancing. I ruined the dancing for them. As long as I'm there, they don't dance, boys and girls together. They are dying for me to leave. As soon as I leave, Saddam explodes. So he's a babysitter. Maybe should stay for the whole house and That's it. So the question is, is this a mitzvah for him to guard them when they see him? Imagine now you zuk chilonim and uh, Rav Ovadia Yosef walks in and sits over there and drinks some water there and you want to start the dancing. Not only you don't dance, you tell the DJ, make sure you don't put any bad songs, you know. Put, put, Mashiach, Mashiach, Mashiach. Ay, 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 ay. What happened? You became religious? No, Kvod Aravpo. Lo naim. Sometimes, you know, when I go to Israel, they ask me, Rabbi, in Israel, you give a lecture in the neighborhood and you have buildings. So just the four or five buildings around, they fill up 500 people in a shul. Everyone walks down and, and walk. They don't have to come from far away. So sometimes there are people, Rabbi, uh, my brother is paralyzed, Rabbi, my mother is sick, Rabbi this, can you come one second to our house, give him a bracha? You're there already. You get into the elevator, you go second floor. Fifth. So always when you walk in, they are chilonim, these people. So you know how the women then dress. They don't dress. As soon as they see the rabbi, like they saw the satan. Right away, they take something, they cover themselves. It's such an absurd. From Hashem, they are not embarrassed at all to walk like this all day. In the street, forgetting the house. But from a rabbi, they are so ashamed. Why didn't you tell me you're bringing the rabbi? I'm so embarrassed. In front of you, she said to her son, Moshe, למה לא אמרת שאתה מביא את הרב? You should have called me. Why? I'm embarrassed. Sleeves, no sleeves, this, you know. Why? They're afraid of the rabbi, but they're not afraid of Hashem. So now the question is, Rabotai, What are we doing with this chupa? My opinion, 
Now you're allowed to even go to this chupa. It's big chilul Hashem. But there are big chachamim that are allowed to go to the chupa for the sake of peace. But of course, to watch the eyes, you know, finish and run away. Sometimes it's really people take it personally. Like they think you have something against them. That's why it didn't come. If they are too sensitive and it's created a lot of fights in their family, then if you want to count on those poskim that allows it, at least you have who to count on. That's why I always tell the women who gets the, 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 the wigs, most of the serious poskim are completely against wigs. So it's a very big sin to wear a wig. But since there are few big chachamim that allow wigs, so you have who to count on. If you come in front of Hashem and Hashem will ask you, why did you wear a wig? You're going to say, that rabbi allowed it. What about in my Wait. So you, when you, when you want to be able to claim that you follow that rabbi, you have to make sure that your wig is the wig that that rabbi allowed. <laughs> and none of the wigs today, anyone allowed. <laughs> you understand? It's all very long and wavy and colors. It looks better than it makes her look more attractive than before. And the concept of modesty is not to attract attention from strangers on the street. What is the point of covering your natural hair and actually make an act that is actually worse? Obviously, it's not logical. So if you want to be able to claim I'm following that specific rabbi who allowed his community to wear a wig, make sure it's a short one and not too flashy and straight. And better to have to have synthetic one that it's not human hair. And definitely not this new one now. What's the name of it? That looks like lace top. That nobody can tell that is a wig. Now one person you go like this and you it would look hundred percent natural. Someone told me today that someone bought give a head track because the woman come, they say I wouldn't wear a wig regardless. So let me put this on say okay, wear this. You know, sometimes, sometimes a rabbi will allow someone to do what he does, bediyevet. You know what bediyevet means? After the fact. I'll give you an example. Reuven married Christine in a civil marriage. It was not religious at all. So he married a non-Jewish girl, and they have now a kid or two. One day, Reuven became religious. He got a CD, started to listen, he became religious. He has a wife and two children, even though they all go in, he is not ready to leave them. He loves her, she loves him, they love the kids, they don't want to break the family. So he comes to the Bedin and say, Christine is willing to convert. She already keeps with me Shabbat. She eats with me kosher. She dresses already modest. She's not what we used to be. Me and her, we both became religious from this CD. Convert her. If a guy is not married and he brings a Goya to the Bedin, she's my girlfriend, convert her that I can marry her, they won't convert her. The Giyur, the Shemi Shut is not good. It's not a business here. She has to convert for the truth, not for men. It disqualified the conversion. But what happened after the fact? They're already married and they have kids and they are not going to separate. If they are going to separate, 
What's the rush to convert here? That's it. He's not making a sin. He's not committing a sin. But if they're not going to separate, what's better? To keep her a goya and every day he's going to make sins with her? Or to convert her after the fact if she's willing to keep the mitzvot? For most bedding, they will convert her. And the children. They will convert her. Why? Because he's not going to separate. So what do you want? 20 years that he's going to live in a sin? At least this guy became Shomer Shabbat. Is it a good thing? Absolutely not. Do you have anything better? Also absolutely not. In Hebrew it's called Arab Miuto. You have many different levels of bad. 100% bad, 90% bad, 70% bad, 50% bad. This is 20% bad. Which one of, the, of all of them you choose? 20% bad. <laughs> Best option I have right now. It's not good, but it's not as bad as all the other options. That's called Bedieved. Bedieved is two words in Aramaic. Bedi, Avad. Like after he did it already. So it's after the fact. Same thing with the wigs. If a woman will not cover the hair at all, she say either a wig or nothing. To walk with her natural hair outside. What's better, that she walks with her hair open to the whole world, or at least she has a wig that covers her hair? It's not modest, but at least nobody sees her natural hair, which is an obligation from Torah to, for married women not to, to show her hair to the, to the people. So if you can convince her to really cover modestly the head without a wig, obviously that's what you should aim. But if there is no chance right now, what's better, that she will not cover the hair at all, or she will put some kind of a wig, which is better than nothing? Common sense say, better a wig than nothing. But not everybody agree with that. Some people would say, will make an argument, you do not uh, budge, budge, how do you call it? Budge. You don't budge to a criminal. Like they say in America, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. You're trying to blackmail us? We won't budge. In the end, they always budge. They always negotiate with terrorists and they always give them what they want. It's just uh, baloney. If they really accepted that rule never to negotiate with terrorists, no matter what happened, two, three, four times the terrorists would try to kidnap and do things, they'll see nobody, that's it, it's a solid rule. Nobody even answers their call. Nobody talks to them. They'll kill the, the hostages a few times. They blow up some places, and in the end, it will disappear from the world. Why? It never brought any production. That's the point of just killing the civilians when in the end the government do not even talk to us. Problem is that once you surrender once, you're done. They can always blackmail you, and that's the way, that's the way it is. So, we'll move on. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised to Abraham Bebrit Ben Abetarim You're going to rest in peace with your fathers Meaning, the exile that are going to your children What I told you that they're going to be 400 years of exile It will not start until you die You yourself will not be a part of it Your children will but not you. So now what do we know? From the time Abraham will die, the problems will begin. 
But as long as he's alive, he's our insurance. Right? Everybody knew about it. The whole nation of Israel. It's, it was a common thing. Everybody knew about it. So the question is, why Asaf is surprised that Abraham passed? He knows that Hashem already told him, one day you will pass. You rest in peace with your fathers and the problems will begin. Because of that information that Hashem promised to Abraham, right? So Asaf did the calculation like this. As long as Abraham is alive, I know for sure I'm safe. There's not going to be an exile. The day Abraham will pass, the exile can start any minute. Can be an hour later, a day later, a week later. It can start any minute, the problems. But not all the children of Abraham will go to exile. Who will go? HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to him, Beitzchak ikare lechazara. Your children is only Yitzchak, not Ishmael. Ishmael is not your son. Yitzchak is your son. Yitzchak, Karel Chazara. So who is going to be the children of Yitzchak? Who are they? Me and Yaakov. How do I get rid of it? It's written, Yitzchak. What does it mean, Yitzchak? It should have been, Yitzchak is your Zera. What is it, Yitzchak? In Yitzchak, you will find your seed, your continuation, meaning only in part of him. Or not, not the whole Yitzchak. A part of Yitzchak will continue your name. So he knows it's either me or Yaakov. One of us will, take, will have to take the curse, the fault. So who's going to go? Who's going to go? The firstborn. <laughs> when you don't come three lectures in a row, you have no say anymore. <laughs> you have to earn the right to talk. <laughs> when you were here every lecture for more than a year, you never missed a lecture. When you say something, I stop the lecture. You can see in many different lectures and we listen to you. Now, after three times in two weeks, you didn't show up, you're back to the beginning. You have to earn the respect. <laughs> Remember when I said yesterday in my lecture with Ashkenazi and in Baritz, I will become like a talk. <laughs> Look at his face. Very good. It's a good shame. Baruch Hashem. Top. Anyway, but he had good reasons. Why he didn't come to the lecture? Who knows? Because he was learning. He was catching up on his learning with his chevruta, Baruch Hashem. It did not go to the bar, if that's what you want. Baruch Hashem. He doesn't even know what the bar is. You know what's the difference between the people today, how they meet their shiduch, and, uh, and our fathers, how they met their shiduch? Our fathers made their shiduch in the Be'er, Bet Aleph Resh. The parents today meet their shiduch in the bar. Bet Aleph Resh. It spells the same, but has a complete different meaning. If you meet your wife, by the way, like Yaakov met Rachel, or you meet your wife in a bar, there has to be some difference between a wife that you met in a well to a wife that you met in a bar, if you know what I mean. So, anyway, so he's calculating, why do I have to be the firstborn? I'm going to have to take all the fault. 
let me throw it on him, and he's paying me for that, <laughs> giving me lentil soup. He's thinking, what a fool my brother is. He thinks he makes a great bargain. He gives up all the money. He said, from today on. So all the money, your money is secure. So I get all my money. Plus, he's going to take all the cares and he's going to go to exile and suffer. Which happened, by the way. This calculation exactly happened. Who went to Egypt? Yaakov, not Esau. Esau was dismissed. Him and his children were free. So he wasn't such a fool after all, this Esau. He's so grateful, he had to take it back. That's what he was calculated. Right, let me ask you a question. Was he a fool or not a fool? Let's rethink about it. When you know there is a curse about your father, lo alenu, and it's gonna fall either on you or your brother, right? And you are not, anyway, you're not such a lover of your brother. It's two enemies. So if you can push your brother ahead and save yourself and your children, and at the same time give him what he deserves because you hate him, what can be a better move than that? So is he smart or no? There's a promise after that that he'll Ah. That's the bad part of the story, but the story had a happy end. And after that, I'll take them out of Egypt and give them lots of wealth and give them the Torah and bring them to the promised land and they'll be the chosen people. All of that he gave up because he didn't want to work in a, in a in camp. So he gave it all up. So that's what he said, Rabotai. He said, I'm going to die. Why do I need the firstborn? He didn't have a question if Hashem exists and his word exists. He knew 100%. That's why he did all this trick. To go around Hashem's Hashem, uh, promise to Abraham. Right? But they call it kfira, heresy, because of the other part of what I say, that he's willing to do all this trick and not to accept the Torah. Someone who plays tricks not to accept the Torah, not to come to shiur, not to listen to a lecture, that's heresy. That's a long kfira. Hey, I didn't say I don't believe in God, right? I didn't say I don't believe in the Torah, right? But whenever we suggest that you come to learn, you don't want to come, so you're kufer. Because if you believed in the significance of the Torah and the importance of the Torah, you would have to run after the Torah, like you run after diamonds and money, no? So the fact that you're avoiding the Torah and pushing it away and you're not interested to even open it up or read what's inside it, you are a kufer. Maybe not by speaking against the Torah, by your action show how much you despise the Torah. That's why they call him Kofer. So, we move on. Now comes the punch of the lecture. Punchline? Punchline. Punchline. Before the punchline, we have to get a, a glass of Lechaim. Starvation began. Like now. You call Costco online, you order 20 items, how much they send? 10. They don't have 10. The storages are empty. Thousands of, of boats are stuck in the middle of the ocean for more than a month. 
Nobody is there to take the merchandise off the boats. Half of the workers do not want to get vaccinated. The other half do not want to work because Sleepy Joe paid them for one year for free, so they got used to lay in bed all day and watch NBA. <laughs> what well, are you going to go now walk on the board, carry bags of rice for Costco to make billions? Leave it over there to rot. It's a big problem. No chips. Someone told me the reason that they don't have car in New York? Chips. It's not chips, it's one reason. There is another reason. Remember two months ago there was a big hurricane, typhoon, whatever you call it, and I almost died that night. Oh yeah, we How long ago was that? In Great Neck. It was a Great Neck. Before Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, it was before Rosh Hashanah. So what is it, like two months, two and a half months? Remember how, how everywhere in New York was all flooded? Yes. You know, a lot of the cars that the dealer had, it big. You know how they, they park all the cars outside? They were all total damaged. There are tens of thousands of cars disabled, that's a, cannot start them. Flood damage. That's why you don't have cars. Now you pay double on a lease. Double on a lease. A car that was 300, now it's 600. A tire that was a hundred dollars, now it's three hundred dollars. Everything went up like crazy now. Yeah, but it will go down eventually when they get enough. From my experience, ninety-nine out of a hundred items that go up usually never comes down. The only things comes down in America is the price of gas. Go up and down every day. But everything else, once it goes up, do you ever see that they lower it? Barely ever. So, now there is hunger in the land. Vair av ba'aretz milvad arav arishon asher haya b'yimei Avraham. It's not the first time. It's the second time now. The time of Avraham, there was hunger, there was nothing to eat. Okay. Now there is hunger again. How many hungers the world had so far? Until that moment. First one was in the time of Adam. Yeah, שנאמר ארורה האדמה בעבורך. The land is cursed because of you. So there was nothing growing for a for period of time. Then there was another hunger in the time of Lemech. As it's written, מן האדמה אשר ערערה השם. The land that Hashem cursed. And the third hunger was in the time of Abraham, as it's written, Vairav Baaretz. There's hunger in the land. So three, so far three times. Three times. Three times in how many years? Do the math. From Adam until Yitzchak, how many years you have? Two thousand years. Abraham was born 1948. 1948. 60. Yes. So, here you go. 2,000 years from Adam until Yitzchak. So in 2,000 years, three hungers. 
אדם, למך, אין אברהם. And now comes the fourth one. הרב שהיה בימי אברהם, the hunger in the time of אברהם, was the third one. So why it's written here, מלבד הרעב הראשון, besides the first hunger that was in the time of אברהם, we just said that it was three before. The answer, is, the, the, the answer is, there are two kinds of hunger. Two kinds of hunger, or what they call in America, recession, whatever you want to call it. One is as results of sins. People commit sins, and Hashem punish humanity. Take away the weight. A second kind of hunger comes as a test. Not because people deserve to start, to test them. The hunger in the time of Adam and Lamech came from sins. Everyone was wicked. So there was a curse to the land. Arura, Haru, curse. The land was cursed. The land usually is blessed. All our life comes from the land. Without the land, we would not have life. No weeds, no barley, no nothing. So, Two hungers were because of sins. The hunger in the time of Abraham was a unique hunger, special. It's one of the ten tests that Hashem gave to Abraham Avinu to be able to certify that he is fully righteous and is a servant of Hashem. Ten different tests Hashem gave him. That was one of them. After Hashem said to him, Lech Lecha, go from here, go to the land of Canaan. You know, over here you're not going to have a child, but you're going to go over there, I will bless you, I'll multiply you. And he gets there, and what does he find? Nothing. Hunger. Stores are empty, markets are empty, the land is all dry. You promised me blessing over here. I had blessing over there, I was a multi-millionaire, I had everything I want. You bring me now, I get here all the way here, and this is what I find? Not one question asked by Abraham. Now comes the fourth hunger in the time of Yitzchak. What kind of hunger is this? Hunger because of sins? Or hunger to test Yitzchak? Test. Very good. You're making it. Yeah, you can see, slowly, slowly, you get back to your position. So, Baruch Hashem, what do we have? We have, a, we have a test. Hashem is trying to test Yitzhak. What's the test? the reason that the Torah highlights the fact that the hunger was on top of the hunger that was in the time of Abraham Avinu? That was the question. In the time of Abraham Avinu, when the hunger was there, there were hundreds of thousands of people starving for food. It's hard to understand if Hashem wants to test Abraham. <coughs> Why the whole world has to suffer? There's hundreds of thousands of people now all of a sudden there's nothing to eat. You want to test me? Test me! Why everybody has suffer on me? 
we wanted to get into a certain place. <coughs> what do we see over here, Abutai? <coughs> Sometimes you live in a city, you have a million people there, but only one count. Everyone is just background. No significance to the rest of the people. One Sadiq. Sometimes on a scale count, like all of them combined. Hundreds of thousands will go through the test that Hashem is giving Abraham, and Hashem is not concerned by that. Yeah. Ahmed, Mustafa, Said. They all, wow, no, nothing to eat. The question is, wouldn't it be better that Hashem will only make Abraham poor? If Hashem wants only one family to be poor and not no, have no food, he has many ways to do it. You get fired, you can find a job for a year, you run out of your saving, and that's it, you're hungry. And you go to Tom Cheshabis for food. Thousands of people that had that test. You need to torture the whole city? If Avraham, that was a multi-millionaire, will be, you need to make him hungry, you have to take away all his millions and thousands of camels and cows and sheep. Too obvious. You don't take someone uh, the size of uh, Elon Musk and there's, uh, I don't know, $100 trillion, and in one year you make him starving to bread. What happened, Elon? <laughs> the Chinese made a better car than Tesla. Look at me now. I'm looking in the garbage what to eat. Ah, come on, you expect us to believe it? I'm sure you bought here, and you bought there, and you have investments here. How can a person lose billions in one year? It's not realistic. To make Avram so poor, to, to bring him to a level of poverty that he doesn't know what to eat, it's impossible. There's no food, there's nothing. It's impossible. But to make the market empty, Avram has millions, but there's, not, there's, no, there's no flour to buy. There's no wheat to buy, no barley. That's, that's a natural way. It looks like nature. That's the test. Not that you have billions and all of a sudden in one month Hashem left you with not a piece of bread. Obviously you know. It's not even a test. That's what Hashem did it to me and that's it. But when you now in you, Hashem says, I'm taking you to a place and there's nothing to buy there. You walk with cash everywhere. Excuse me. You have maybe some bread left? No. Go here. You go there. I once told you the story. There was the Chafetz Chaim. One person that was selling bread came to him. And he said to him, Rabbi, give me a blessing. Business is not so good. I make so many breads, half of them I don't sell. And they're so beautiful and nice chalas, you know. So Hafez gave him a blessing. Right after the blessing, a big war started. World War One. And now there's a war, there's no food. Hafez sees him a year later meet him on the street, he thought now, if a year ago, before the war, he was crying that he barely makes a living, who knows what he's going to tell me now. But the Chafetz Chaim, see that he comes with a smile. Shalom Aleichem, Rebbe! Your blessing made wonders! <laughs> I said, well, 
What happened? The business is booming. He said, really? In a time that everyone else is starving and there's nothing to buy? Just your business is booming? Everyone took the heat. How do you, your business is booming? He said, I'll tell you how. Before, there was no war. There was a lot of merchandise, a lot of food everywhere. People were very picky. Right? This challah is not well done. This one is not baked enough. This one doesn't have enough sesame. This one is a little hard. Don't you have something a little bit better? It's not exactly round. Now, before I put it on the shelf, people are fighting. Who's going <laughs> to grab it? As it is, crooked, with holes, with sesame, no sesame. Let me take it. Why? There's shortage in food. Everyone is worried what's going to happen next week, if we're going to die or not. So it doesn't matter what I make. Before we even get to the shelf, people grab it from my hand. <laughs> Just like the corona. Some people got wiped out. Some people became billionaires. Some people, the virus was the best blessing they ever had. They made more business in one year than they made all their life. So, In the time of Abraham Avinu, what did Hashem want by doing that? Let's see. He said that everyone will go to Egypt because of the hunger. When Abraham went to Egypt, they took Sarah to the palace of the king. And an angel was beating him up all night, you know. And the king of Egypt came broken to Abraham Avinu. Take your wife. Look what you did to us. Take her. And he said... Not only I'm giving you back your wife, take my daughter also. Who was his daughter? Hagar. Hagar. Now you're doing one plus one or no? Do you see where we're going or no? Huh? Better that my daughter will be a servant in a house of such an important tzaddik like you, that Hashem is sending an angel to protect you and your wife, that means you're very important. I rather my daughter will be servant in your house, attached to your family, than be a princess over here with all the criminals here. This is a critical moment in the life of the Jewish people, in history. This moment is the seed of all the tragedies all the terrorism, all the suffering that we suffer from the Arabs. $84 a barrel of oil today. Everything you see, every suffering in the world directly or indirectly connects to the Arabs. All the suffering in the airports, all the suffering in the malls, all the CIA and the FBI, and the, count, the terrorists counter against terrorism and this and the Mossad and the spies and the billions and trillions of dollars to the army and the missiles and the dom and, 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 and all these things that it's all started right here. This second. Somebody asked you where this is all started. The answer 
the angel was giving Paro punches all night. Don't dare to touch her. Okay, okay. In the morning, come, come. Why did you bring her to me? Take her. I thought she's your sister. Take her and take my daughter also. If he wouldn't take her, Ishmael would not come to the world. Ishmael wouldn't come to the world. He wouldn't have all the whatever you have today. All these Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. The Arabs, yes. Not all Muslims are children of Ishmael. But all Arabs are children of Ishmael. So that means uh, people from Nigeria, or Jamaica, or India, or Pakistan, or Turkey, or Iran, they are not children of Ishmael. Different nations who adopted Islam. But Arabs, Persians are not Ishmaelim. Persians are not Ishmael. Turks are not Ishmael. They're Muslims, but they're not Ishmael. Arabs are Ishmael, but again, not all Arabs, because some Arabs, uh, their grandparents moved from Europe to Lebanon. How do you know? Could be they used to be Christian, and now he's an Arab from Lebanon or from Syria. So, it's hard to know. So now, when the king of Egypt gave his princess daughter to Abraham Avinu to be his servant, that's how Hashem established the reputation of Abraham Avinu in the whole area. That no one will mess with him. Be careful from this man. Our king, Paro, the head of the empire of Egypt, gave his daughter to be his servant. Do you know what happened to him? All night he was getting punches. God sent an angel to save this man. Look how powerful he is. And he gave him a lot of gifts. Don't dare to mess with him. You mess with him? You mess with two kings. The king of Egypt and the king of universe. Nobody dared to mess with Abraham. So, remember, later when Sarah passed, he comes to a phone to buy Me'arat HaMachpelah. What the Goim say to Avram? You are the president of God among us. How did they know? There was no CNN. They didn't read in Facebook. Everybody knew it. Every, what, what is going on today? What is going on today? Good question. Even you can shut it off. Oh, Aruch Hashem. So, Avraham is well established now. Now is a hunger in the time of Yitzchak. Again, HaKadosh Baruch Hu starved thousands of people. Same story. That everyone will come to the city of Grar, and we'll hear what happened over there. And Yitzchak will be so established over there. And next years to come, in the days of Yaakov, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will make again a hunger. So listen to this. Look at the pattern here. Hunger in the time of Abraham, hunger in the time of Yitzchak, and hunger in the time of Yaakov. It cannot be coincidence. Three different hungers, and all for the same purpose. So now, thanks to this hunger, Bnei Israel will arrive to Egypt and will live in the land of Goshen. And what Hashem promised to Abraham will happen. 
And Yosef will be the most powerful person in the world for 80 years, will control all the money in the world. And the slavery will begin for about 86 years. And then they'll go out and seven weeks later get the Torah and the, and the story really begins now. This was all introduction. Like I always told you, I finished the introduction. <laughs> now we can start the lecture. <laughs> so this was all introduction. For the moment, we became the nation of the book. So what do you see, Rabotai? What do we learn from all of what I just told you in the last 20 minutes? That you have a million people in front of your eyes. One is important, and all of them are dust in the wind. And whatever will happen with him will affect all of them, for good or for bad. <laughs> They all live for that person. Everyone for that person. You know what it's like? You know when you sometimes order uh, bags, shipping from a company, so they have a little thing, I don't know, some kind of a jewel, and they fill up the whole box with this, uh, <laughs> what do you call it? Styrofoam. Styrofoam what? Flakes? Flakes. Flakes. Thousand for one tiny box. <laughs> so everybody understands who cares about those flakes. That's, the, that's exactly it. If you move it left, they will move left, they'll move right, they'll come out, they'll fall out. So, everything for the tzaddik. Same thing with Yona. The prophet John is escaping and this is on a boat. The old boat is shaking, hundreds of sailors are about to die. What? For one person. When they throw him down, the storm stopped instantly. They brought him back up, the storm started again. Wow. What did you do to your God? They say they go in. Well, why are you running from him? What do you think happened after that? Everywhere you go, people were talking about him, about Yonah. Wow, we met that Jewish guy, this holy man. You have to see what God does for him. Throw him to the water, psh, the water shut. We bring him up, storm. Everyone scream and he sleeps. Everyone is about to drown. He sleep, enjoy. Hey, get up. Kum krane elokecha. What do you know? You're snoring here. Why are you sleeping over there? Get up! <laughs> Tov, last thing for today, for the introduction, I mean. Kol ha-be'erot asher chafru avdei aviv. Sitmum plishtim vaimalum Yitzhak went and dug all the wells that they blocked in the time of his father. Why does he need that? It's, what is it like? Your father was a very wealthy man when you were a child. He had seven different stores. Candy store, restaurant, gas station, a, a supermarket. Your father in the meantime passed, the Goim stole away his property. So now you're going back to that country, you go back to Iran, 
where how many and other devils stole all your father's assets in Iran? I know someone like this. He told me, Rabbi, in Iran I had two streets. I <coughs> hotel, I had buildings, I had everything. Everything left there. I came here with nothing. I took one Persian rug, <laughs> and I came to America. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Libyans, a lot of, from Tripoli, a lot of Persian, a lot of Iraqis, they did it to them. The Muslims stole away everything from them. So now, a Persian Jew in America made a few millions here in New York. He wants to go back to Iran and buy the seven properties that the Persians stole from his father. What advice we would give him? What do you need the headache? Aray Moshe. Don't start. Buy something in New York. Buy here in Great Neck. Buy in Los Angeles. Why you have to go back now to Iran, to Shiraz, to Tehran? Why do you need the headache over there? This is what's happening over here. <coughs> Itzhak now is going to dig the same wells that are blocked already. Why? Those are the wells that my father once dug. What for? Rabbeinu Bechaye, more than 800 years ago, he said, why the Plishtim blocked all the, the wells? Why the Philistines blocked the well? Why the Goim attack Jewish businesses? What reason? Jealousy. 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 It bothers them very much that they're very successful and wealthy. Sometimes you find uh, honest uh, Gentiles that they say, what do you want from the Jews? They work very hard, they go to school, they get education, they invest a lot and they're serious in their life and they become successful. And you're a bum. You do nothing with your life, all day beer and playing and do nothing. And you want to, you know, do nothing in your life and then you're jealous why they are successful. It sounds very convincing, but it's all baloney. Because there are many hard-working people in the world that don't have what to eat. And there's a lot of Jews who did not do anything in their life and they have billions. Wealth does not come from hard work. Get it out of your head. Wealth does not come from being serious, from investing. Shtuyot. Wealth comes from Hashem's decision. He wants you to be wealthy, you will be wealthy. Even if you're the dumbest and most sloppy person on earth. Art is the best proof for it. You have some weirdo, you know, sleeping in a park, making a triangle, a line, and a circle. Ketchup on canvas. Ketchup on canvas. Some uh, guy probably smoked something before. He decided to make ketchup on canvas. 46 million No, how many professors who learned 20 years in universities were making their entire life 46 million dollars? How many? How many murderers from different armies that went to work for some dictators and made fortune for helping them to murder thousands of people? With no education, they just know how to shoot. They know how to kill. Because they were killers, they hired them and they became their bodyguards or whatever you want to call it. So what is it? They work very hard for their money? No, they just press a button and kill people or put bombs. The idea is 
I always tell people, when you look at Mike Tyson, you understand Parnassah is only from Hashem, not from talent. I hope you won't hear it. Uh, one time I actually had a dream that he gave me a big punch. Imagine what a nightmare. Getting a punch from him. He was dead already for a month in coma. Anyway, so the Goim, the Philistines, are jealous. Everything Abraham did, they come to, to damage. So, Yitzchak comes to give birth to those whales. And what happened again? He called the whales the same names like his father. And the Goim comes again against Yitzchak. And then when Yitzchak said to Avimelech, look what your people did to me, he didn't really know about it. I didn't know why he didn't tell me. And they made a covenant that they will protect each other and will not arm each other. They will not arm each other. And Yitzchak said to them, why now you coming to me? You all hate me. I'm a Jew. You are all anti-Semites. You hurt my father's wells. You damaged my wells. Now you're all coming to me. You kicked me away. You threw me away from your land. You threw me to exile. Now you're coming to speak to me like nothing happened? And they say to, the, to him, we will only do good with you. We will send you in peace. Don't ever take any action against us. It's a little bit strange what's happening here. It's like saying to them, you hated me, and now they want to make a peace. They're anxious to make an agreement with him, a peace. Do, him, do with us only good, like we did with you only good. We send you in peace. What does the Goim say to him? You complain about we took away your businesses. You complain that we threw you out of our land. You should be very grateful that we didn't slaughter you. How, how much you owe us that we didn't kill you. We let you live in one piece. <laughs> Imagine that you come to the... You go back to, to Tehran now. Ahmad Nijad and his friends, whatever the new guy's name is. They bring you over and say, Mr. Yahudi. We want to shake your hand and make peace with you. You will never speak bad about us, and we will not speak bad about you. And he said, you took away all my business, you threw me out of Iran, because of you had never placed. Now, you want to be nice with me? Say, oh, you know how lucky you are that we didn't kill you. We let you leave and go to Belgium or France. How are you not, how are you not grateful? But you took my buildings, you took my business, you took my store. They changed the subject. But we didn't kill you! Meaning, how many people that we had a problem with survived? We kill everyone. We were so nice to you that we didn't kill you. That's really the conversation here now. Would you agree to make a covenant with people like this? Commercial time. <laughs> if, if you come to a big rabbi, 
If you come to a big rabbi and he throw you out of his house by screaming at you, get out of here. Get out of my face. It's a huge embarrassment. Wow, especially if there were people there saw it or heard. You won't sleep a week now. And if you come to the house of a famous murderer, Tony Montana, the head of the Italian mafia in Little Italy. So you walk into his house in Bay Ridge, and over there he begins to scream, get out of here before I shoot you. It's also an embarrassment. And he say, I suggest you leave now before it's too late for you. Because once my friend will be here, they're not going to have mercy on you like I let you run. So when you run, do you feel that you owe him a favor or no? After he embarrassed you, screamed at you and kicked you out. And he said, you better leave now before my friends will come, they'll kill you. You're lucky I'm letting you go. So after he gave you that advice and kicked you out, one day you meet him on the street, and he comes to you, hey, Mr. Jew, remember me, I did you a big favor? Remember that day I yelled at you and I kicked you out of my house before my friends came to kill you? So do you owe him now a favor or no? Well, you have mixed feelings here. Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky Shlita said, decent people, Yitzhak think he's speaking to decent people. He's decent, so you know, decent expect the other person to be decent like him. Why you hated me and you kicked me away from you? But the, the people of Avimelech, they were all big, wicked reshaim. Right? So Avimelech said to Yitzhak, you do not know what's really happening by us. Trust me. If you would know what happened to other people, you would understand how great we were with you. So now the question is, do you examine what actually happened to you in your eyes? Or you should look at that from their eyes. I give you an example. You have a father that is nice, mensch. Is never abusing, never screaming, never healing, never cursing, always supporting. Then you have another one that always cursing, beating up, throwing things, making names. A real lunatic. So if one of the kids, you have like five kids, four of them get punches on an hourly basis. Kicks, punches, curses, pulling the rear, throwing them, making them names. And one of them get one Smacky a week. That's it. Bam! One smack a week. So that, that kid is complaining. Why? Why are you eating me? I eat you. I love you, you fool. Don't you see what I do to the others? You should thank me every time I give you the smack. Because if you were one of your brothers, you'd be dead already. So now the kid has to be grateful to his father for giving him only one punch a week. Or he should say, that's a lunatic, abuser. I might as well get married and run away from him to the other side of the world. How should he look at it? Hmm. It's similar to Mukze Mihamat Chisron Kis. 
You know what? Muktza mihamat chesron kids. If there is an expensive item, the person is careful not to damage. Doesn't have to be financially expensive. It means precious. Even a knife of a moel that he does the brit milah, how much it costs? Five dollars, ten dollars. It's no big deal. But it's so precious and gentle that he's afraid that he will get damaged. So he's watching it very carefully. Or you have a, some kind of a device that is hard to get, or anything like that. That's become muktzeh on Shabbat. You cannot move it. The question is, what happens if a poor guy and a rich guy are in the same table? For the rich guy, this hundred dollars item is much no big deal. You can throw it, you can leave it here, you can come back next week, doesn't care. Lose it, no big deal. For the poor guy, it's a life and death. So nervous that something will happen to it. So what's the status of this uh, thing? Is it mukse or not mukse? According to the rich, who can, who can care? I can care less about it. It's not chisron kids, a hundred bucks. I waste my time on a hundred bucks. But according to the poor, it's a very big thing, a hundred bucks. He works all day for that. So who we follow, the rich or the poor? Huh? We have to look at that from the eyes of the rich man or from the eyes of the, the poor. Man is not Very good. So now you saw that the law can change according to the person within him. The rich guy, for him, it's not mukze. He can move it on Shabbat. The poor guy, he cannot move it on Shabbat because it all goes after the mind. The mind. It's very interesting. Same thing over here. The Goim say to Yitzchak, believe us. You got away very easy compared to what we do to others. It's not because you're a Jew. It's not because you're an we are anti-Semites. We just hate everyone. We hate all strangers. We hate Arabs, we hate Turks, we hate Chinese, we hate Mexicans, and we also hate Jews. But not if we only hate the Jews. Of course, you're right, we're racist and the semi. But you see, we hate strangers. Anyone who opens business by us, we kill him. On the other hand, you, we actually spared your life. <laughs> that was enough to convince him, Yitzhak, to shake the hand. Uh, this is a lesson for life. So when you deal with a sleazy a guy, with an with a arrogant guy, with a wicked guy, you have to try to get into his head and see how difficult for him was to do a little gesture for you. Hmm. For you it's nothing. You do it thousands of times a week to people. So you're not even embarrassed. I mean, you're not impressed. But if you try to be him, this arrogant guy, this rasha, that one time did something, for him it's a huge thing. Is it enough for you to make peace with him and say, okay, no problem, I will never take actions against you? Apparently, yes. Rav Shmuel Kowalski, Rav Shmuel Tzvi Kowalski, it says like this, 
his brother told a story. He gave a shiur, and after the shiur, he was going to visit his mother to fulfill the mitzvah of respecting your parents, to make her happy, to make them happy. His mother always asked, did you eat your breakfast, Shmuel? He said, yes. Why? Because he knew his mother is an old woman, and if he's going to say no, she's going to start cutting bread, making eggs. doesn't want to bother her, so he always say yes. Even though she was very happy to do it, he always said yes. Was this a lie? Are you allowed to lie because you want to spare some efforts from your mother? No. You don't want your mother to get up and walk upstairs now. Yes. So you tell her, yeah, yeah. Did you eat? Yes, I ate. If not, I'll go upstairs, I'll bring something from the refrigerator. No, no, I ate it already. Because you don't want her to go. Is this considered a sin or not? Because the Torah says, Midvar Sheker Tilak. We know you're allowed to lie for the sake of peace. But here we're not talking about peace here. So she would be gladly doing it. The question is, are you allowed to, to spare suffering from a person? That's the question. I already said, that's a pleasure for her to make him breakfast. <laughs> pleasure, pleasure, but she has to work hard. An old woman. But go upstairs, downstairs, carry, fry now eggs. It's if the mother finds out the kid lies, she'll feel real terrible. How is she going to find out? She's going to go check in Yeshiva if he ate today. So the question is, is this a lie? He always made sure every morning before his shiur to take a bite of something. Because he already knows soon my mother after the shiur will ask, she will ask me if I ate breakfast. And I don't want to lie. So she will ask me, did you eat? I will have to say yes. If I didn't eat, it would be a lie. So he takes something and put it in his mouth. Whatever it is, I don't know, cookie, whatever. That was his breakfast. By his mother, he used to make himself tea and drink and talk to her. When, his, when he got home, his wife was asking, did you eat breakfast? Did you eat breakfast? He said yes. Why? No, let's see who's clever. Why? Why he said to his wife yes? It's coming from his mother. And? He wanted to say, say really embarrassment. Very good. For the, for the dignity of his mother. If he's going to keep telling her, no, no, she's going to think, what kind of a mother he is? She never offer him to eat by her? Sake of peace. So he always said yes. So she didn't make him breakfast. So in reality, he never ate. To make everyone happy and not work hard, he had to lie. In reality, he never ate. Until the evening. So is it a lie? One time, when he was a yeshiva bachur, 
he came home on Friday. His mother served him soup, vegetable soup. She asked him, how's the soup? He went out of his way to compliment her soup. Amazing, delicious, the best. She said, oh, finally I found something he likes. <laughs> finally. Every time she knew he's coming, she made him that soup. <laughs> Before he got married, the bride, his future wife, asked the mother, what food does he like? She said, usually he doesn't care about food, he never ever talk about food. But there's one food for sure I know he likes. It's that vegetable soup. So, he gave me so many compliments about it, I always make it for him. And he always eat it. And I give him extra. And she taught the wife how to make the same soup. In his entire life, he was eating that soup and never made a beep. <laughs> Once he passed, there was a comfort letter come from an old friend that lived in a different country. So he sent his condolences to his family. And he said, he saved my marriage life. The man said, how? He said, I had big arguments with me, between me and my wife about different things. About the way she cooked, about the taste of the food. I prefer one kind of food and she prefer different kind of food. I was Moroccan, one spicy fish. She was Ashkenazi, giving me cold gefilte fish with sugar and carrot. I tried to make her maybe make something more spicy, but she insists, you know, something like that. So, when Rav Kowalski heard about it, he told his friend a story. Listen to this. So when I was Bachur Yeshiva, I came one time to my mother on Friday. She served me his vegetable soup. I ate it. It was horrible. <laughs> I almost choked. It tasted so bad. My mother was standing next to me, asked, is it good? What could I have said? I told her, absolutely delicious, not to upset her, even though I suffered. <laughs> I thank her for the fish, and she gave me extra plate. <laughs> and I ate the extra, not to upset her. When I was almost about to vomit, I saw her happy face, it was worth it. Problem was that now my mother knew every time I come, to prepare me that soup. So every time I went there, I almost choked, I tanked her, and that was like this for years. I thought, soon I'm gonna get married, I won't have this nightmare. <laughs> Just when I got married, guess what? First meal my wife made me is that soup. <laughs> Since my wife uh, was very nice and Shatova, I wanted to make me happy. I don't want to disappoint her. So I had that horrible soup and I got extra and I thank for that as well. The friend that wrote that letter, 
He said, from that day, I never ever criticized my wife for her food. Meaning he was eating the gefilte fish. <laughs> Say thank you. Okay. Only compliments. And what happened after a while? She said, listen, you know, I've been making this for so long. It's time to refresh. She started to make real good things that I actually really liked. So thanks to him that I stopped. Once I was criticizing her, she made me the same thing all the time. Once I started to compliment her, she started to make other things as well. So it worked out. Only after he passed, they found out what a humble man he was. For decades, he was eating this horrible food just not to upset them. One of the rabbis in Israel, his wife was making him tea every morning. Mm. One time he left a little tea in a glass. Once he left, the wife said, let me finish it. She drank it. She just realized for six months she put salt in the tea. <laughs> Two spoons of salt. She told it sugar, she got confused. Six months she put salt and not one time he said anything. That, that's a tzaddik that has full control. When to speak, what to speak, what to say. Not easy. It's much harder than just to tight fill in on your arm or put a lid. You understand? There was a righteous man in Yerushalayim, his name Rav Bezalel Grossman. Zolti was one of the biggest rabbis in Yerushalayim. Grossman. Good. What does it mean, Groisman? Big. Big? Groise. A Groise Maise. Groisman. okay. No, Grossman. Oh, so there's no Yud there. Grossman, okay. So, everybody called him the Chalban, the milkman. I remember. Even someone old like me remember the days that the man used to come with his bicycle in a cart in front of the bicycle and bring bottles of milk, give you the bottle and take the old bottle. Exchange. He actually brings the milk directly from the cows, cows with a bell in the neighborhood. Gling, 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 gling. Everyone comes down, give him the old glass bottles. He gives you, you're paying for the milk, tomorrow he comes, you exchange. That's how it was. Mm -hmm. Nothing pasteurized, no milk here, milk with that, green milk, blue milk, red milk. It was a little bit different world. One time there was Din Torah between Rabbi Bezalel Grossman to a different milkman. Why a tzaddik like this go to Din Torah, to obey Din? to quote. He had a line, Rabbi Tzaled had a line that he is giving out milk to the customers. Every day he used to do the same route. One time he was sick. He got sick for a while. For a few weeks he could not walk. His children gave the milk instead of him. Every day a different son would do the distribution. But there, it was not enough because the kids were not walking like him. They didn't know all the addresses. 
So some of the customers started to buy from the other milkmen. When Rabbi Bezalel got healthy, he came back to his work. And the other milkman came to him and said, God forbid, I never had any intention to steal your customer when you were sick. I only did you a favor that the customers will not be upset to make sure they have milk. But now you can have them all back. Just like today. <laughs> Beautiful world. So you can have them all back, of course. And I have to give you percentage Tell me how much from all the milk I sold your customers. You deserve to get commission. Rabbi Bezalel said, I absolutely not. Not only I don't take commission, I do not take back my customers. You earn them. They were free. Nobody was able to give them milk. You got them, it's yours. And definitely not why? Because it's, a, it's like losing something in the middle of the ocean. Once it fell from the boat, Zuto Shaliyam. For me, it's gone. That's it. I cannot go against the wave now and take it. You are there. Take it. Once you got it, you don't have to give it back to me because I already lost it. It's FKR. So, based on that, it's your customers. But the other one refused. So I'm sorry, I'm not taking them. Not only I'm giving them back to you, I also have to give you commission for all the milk I sold to them. When they see that nobody gives up, they went to Din Torah. The opposite of today. Today he stole from me, he has to pay me compensation. There was a Din Torah in those days. And this particular story he did not finish with the Shiduk. But you're right, there are some stories like this that finish with Shiduk. They actually did. Rabbi Michael Yehuda Levkovich. He only passed a year or two ago. Big, no, big no, study. Five years, four years. Five years. No, much more. Seven to ten. Ah, time is flying. One time he heard from the mouth of Rav Moshe Boim, Zatzal, a story. One city overseas, the Magid Mimezrich coming to, to the town. They gave him meat, meat to eat, but he said, I don't eat meat before I see the knife that slaughtered that animal. I want to make sure it's smooth. The Shochet brought the knife. The Magid Mimezrich looked at the knife and did not actually check. Supposed to go with his hands like this. He just gave it back to him. They asked him, why did you ask for the knife, Rabbi, if you didn't check. even check it? He said, I saw the name of God on it. I know it's, it's kosher. The Hasidim heard that. Immediately, what happened when Hasidim see that the Rebbe say on someone that the name of Hashem is on his forehead? Right away, they grab him. He'll be our shochet from now on. So they took him to the big city. After a while, the Magid Mezrich arrived to the same to that city, to the big city. They gave him meat again. He said, I want to see the knife. They said, it's no need. It's the same shochet that already you said the name of God is on Ishkita. No, I still want to see the knife. When I bought the knife, he didn't eat the meat. 
They ask him what happened. Why? He said publicity killed him. Hmm. He became a big shot. Money started to come. The person changed. It happens to many people. When they were young, Lichem Shamayim, poor, you know, nobody knew who they are. They were really devoted in Avodat Hashem. As soon as they became, became big rebels, fancy cars, driver, one person to hold your books, private secretary, what should I say? Offices, 50 million dollar shoes, office for this, office for that. Why? That's the way the answer arrives. What do you think is going to keep you down to earth? One word will explain it all. Take any rabbi today you want of the Hasidim in the world, anyone you want, and put him next to the Baal Shem Tov that started Hasidut. And do a one-week comparison in their lifestyle. And you see, what does it mean to be down to earth, live in a most simple way, devotion to Hashem in the best possible way, to once you become a, a king of thousands of people, how difficult it is. It's much, much harder. It's not the same. Not the same. I would like to finish completely the lecture <laughs> with, I know you're all laughing, but it may happen. Oh, actually, there's a lot more to do. <laughs> I will try, I will try to try to finish. The voice, voice of Yaakov, the end, the end of Esav. There were, there were philosophers in the world like Bilam ben Peor, Avnimus Agardi. They were very big philosophers. Everybody knew Bilam. He knows how to aim, you know, to Hashem. They say to him, all the idol worshippers came to him and they say, what do you think? Can we convert and join the Jewish nation? He said, go to their synagogues and to their yeshivot. If you find babies that learning Torah, you, uh, when, oh, when they, they didn't want to convert. They wanted to attack the Jewish people. They said, do you think we can attack them and win? And he said to them, go and check the synagogue and their yeshivot. If the young kids learn Torah, you cannot touch them a bit. Because God promised the voice is the voice of Yaakov. If the voice of Yaakov is in every synagogue and yeshiva in the world, the hands of Asaph are worthless. They cannot do any harm. Once the voice of Yaakov is silent, the hands of Asaph take over. That's the secret of everything that happens to us, the Holocaust and the pogrom and the destruction of the temple and the Spanish Inquisition. Look how much for this today, so how is it? First of all, Today, Baruch Hashem, already for seven years, you don't have Holocaust. So it's pretty, it's pretty safe. 
Yeah, Jews are being attacked, but compared to other generations, Baruch Hashem. Let's just hope that it will remain like that. We can learn from the rabbit. When the rabbit runs from the hunter, the rabbit blows air from her mouth towards the ground. The dogs come and smell the steam of the breathing of the rabbit. Once you breathe towards the floor, the dogs have a very good sense of smell. And the dogs know how to find the rabbit based on the smell. But if the rabbit picks up the head up to the sky and breathe, the dogs will not know how to find the rabbit. That's how the nation of Israel is. If they are attached to the ground, meaning they love this world, materialism, cars, mansions, vacation, jewelry, clothing, and the rest of their nonsense, they are, they are attached to the ground, meaning to this world. The dogs come and chase them. Today it's this dog, tomorrow it's that dog. If the Jews, their eyes are to the sky, not to the ground, meaning the spiritual, the Torah, and you know, down to earth, then no dogs can chase them. That's the beautiful parable. The same thing we read in Shira Shirim, Song of Song. Berach Dodi, Udme Lecha Letzviu Leofer Ayalim Alare Besamim. Who is Dodi? Akadosh Baruch What does it mean, Udme Lecha Letzvi? Look like, you should look like a deer, or what is Ofer, a young deer? Ofer Ayalim. Ofer Ayalim Alare Besamim. When the deer runs from the hunter, the trained dogs know how to find him based on his smell. The only way that the deer has to escape those dogs if he will, will hide inside a smelly bush. Like good smell. Once the deer go into that, the, into, you know, some of the bush, they have great smells with the flowers. The deer goes inside, the, dog, the dogs cannot smell it. It can be one step away. But he's inside, they don't see him because they go by the smell. And now the smell of the bush confuse them. So that's what it's written in King Solomon. <coughs> Run like the deer that runs from the dogs and knows how to hide in a bush that has great smell to confuse the dogs. That's a parable to the Jewish nation. Yeah, once you learn Torah, your smell is great, you know, it spreads to around you. No dogs can come and attack you. Yeah. Is that like a snake also in the water? Snake is in the water. Snake smells the floor, you run into the water. Same thing, yes. We have a, we have a kushia. A Sav's blessing was that you should live by sword. Right? You should live by your soul. Why the Torah, the verse, mentioned the hands of Esav and not the sword of Esav? It should say, the voice is the voice of Yaakov, 
And the sword is the sword of Esav. The sword is the sword of Esav. <coughs> the Ben Ishchai asked another question. In Tfilat Musaf, we said, Because of our sins, we went to exile from our land. And we were pushed far away from our land. We could not fulfill our duties in your temple. In the beautiful glory building that your name is on it, meaning the temple. Because of the hand that destroyed your house. Who was this hand? The Romans and the Babylonians. Esav. Two temples. Esav's children. Why? Because Esav cried two drops when he found that Yaakov stole his, his blessing. Those two drops is the destruction of those two temples. So when we say the hand, the hand that destroyed the temple, what is this hand? The man Ishchai brings a mashal, parable. Chazal brought a mashal. Trees in a forest. When they found out that the man invented an axe with metal that was designed, axe, an axe that was designed to chop them. They got panic. It's a, it's a parable. The trees are all shaking. <coughs> the man invented the tool called an axe. That means our life is in danger. They started to shake from fear. Until one old tree among them told them, you fools, we don't have to be worried about the axe. Why? Because as long as it doesn't have a handle, from a wood, the piece of metal is worthless, right? We have to be afraid of ourselves that we don't have a trader among us that would contribute to them wood to put on that axe and with that it will kill us all. That's what I always tell you, these lefties, these traders, they are the ones that's from inside like cancer. So the Ben Ishchai explained, we are not afraid of the sword of Esav. That's why it's not written, the sword of Esav. Because the sword without a handle is worthless. We are only afraid of the hand that holds the sword. Without the hand, what good is the sword? So we worry about the hand. Right? <clears throat> so we are worried that we will not create those hands. How do you give power to those hands? By bitul Torah, by not learning, by not keeping the mitzvot. That's when the hand of Esav become very powerful. Once we pray and we learn Torah, the hands of Esav become very weak. Therefore, it doesn't matter that he has a sword. He can't move it. So it is nothing, it's the hands. And the hands are subject to our mouth, the Kol Yaakov. 
That's why we say in Tfilah, Ve'en anachnu yekholim la'asot chovoten. We cannot fulfill our obligation in the temple because of the hand that went after your house. Not the sword, the hand. Not the fire. Who, who, who we blame? Ourselves. We created the hands of Esau. What he used with his hand, sword or fire, that's not relevant anymore. Question is, did we give the strength to his hands or no? And we did. So for that we cried Filat Musa. And that's what's written in uh, Bamidbar, Numbers Yud, uh, verse 9. Ki tavou milchama be'artzichem. Why the Torah say ki tavou? When you come a war in your land. You know, it should have been saying ki tavou milchama. Not ki tavou. When a war will come, not when you will come. We're talking about the war that would come. Looks like a grammar mistake. The verse means, when a problem come, you brought it on yourself. So the verse continue. Once the problem comes, blow the trumpets. Like sirens. What for? Because you are the cause of the problem, you can be the cause of getting rid of the problem. How? Once you blow the trumpets, right? What is Trumpets, right? In the word chatzutzrot, you have 98 problems. Where do you have 98 problems? Huh? The 98 curses in Parashat Kitavo. So Chatzutzrot is two words. Chatz, which is 98 in numeric value. Tzarot. So when you blow the trumpets like the Rambam writes, you must blow the trumpets and that everyone should know there's time of tragedy, time of problem. And everybody immediately come and pray and cry to Hashem. And if they don't do it, they are cruel. If someone says it's nature, it's hurricane, it's flood, it's a war, things like this happen. And it does not scream and cry and blow the trumpet for everyone to wake up to do tshuva. The Rambam, Rambam says someone like that, besides being an infidel, is achzar, a cruel, cruel. Why? Because of him, people will die. So this is the secret of the Chatzot What is it that the Gemara say about the verse in Tehilim 140, verse 9? Tehilim Kufmen, verse 9. We have an expert in Tehilim, if you didn't notice that. Al titen Hashem מאוויה רשע, זממו אל תפק. What is it? ירומו סלע. ירומו סלע. אמר יעקב, הגמרא סי. הגמרא סי. אמר יעקב לפני הקדוש ברוך הוא, ריבונו של עולם. Don't let עשיו הרשע תאוות ליבו. זממו אל תפק. Don't let עשיו succeed in his plan. זו גרמניה של אדום. שאלמלא הם יוצאים לעולם, מחריבים כל העולם כולו. זה מסכת מגילה פייג' 6. 
הגמרא said that Yaakov prayed to Hashem, don't let my brother Esav, the wicked Esav, succeed, because if he will succeed, he will become Germany. This was written 2,000 years ago, there was no Germany yet. This is a prophecy in a Talmud. Esav will become Germany of Edom, and will go out and destroy the whole world, talking about the Nazis. Then the Gemara continues. The Gemara, the Yavetz say, Germania is Germany. Ashkenaz. Ashkenaz. <laughs> Germany. This is Rabotai. How many years the Yavetz lived in Arlora? How many years ago? <coughs> 300 at least, no? Rabotai. Here it doesn't say it, but I can add one more thing. The Gemara continue. Amar Rabbi Chama Barbisa. Tlat mea ktiri taga ika vegermania shel Edom. Germany of Edom. They have 300 provinces. Go to the cyclopedia. Put Germany. This is what it says over there. There was a person named Bismarck. He united all the barbarian tribes into the German Republic. Westphalia, Schlesia, Bavaria, all these places in Germany. He made them one nation. And the Cyclopedia writes, 300 tribes kept their financial independence. It's like in America, you have uh, states, but every state has their own budget and their own rules and all that. Just like Texas decided, no abortion over here. We are an independent state. The court cannot go against it. And now I heard that they decided to finish the wall. Because the federal does not want to finish the wall because they want to flood America with illegal immigrants because they're all Democrats. They're going to vote Democrats. Democrat, yeah. So they don't care that this country will go down the drain and go bankrupt 50 times until then. So they want to flood America with all kinds of illegal people. Trump wanted to put an end to it. So what happened? Texas decided we will finish the war with our own money. They're going crazy, these Democrat traders. You know, by them there is a solid rule. My way or the highway? No freedom of speech. Freedom of speech to leftists only. And to Arab terrorists. And to gays. But not to religious righties. Not to preachers, not to people who speak about ethics. No, no. Stay over there, you primitive. In Israel they found the word. Ugh. Iran! Iran. Like in Iran, you know, the Ayatollahs and this, they went back a thousand years in time. So they want to say, if we, Israel, will become religious, we'll become all primitive. In the meantime, the most advanced business people I know are religious. All the high-tech tycoons and the diamond dealers and the real estate developers. But you know how it is. Go fight the stigma. Once Yitzchak found out, he gave the blessing to Yaakov, the Torah said, Vayecherad Yitzchak charata gdola meod. He almost got, ad meod, he got almost a hard attack. Almost a hard attack. What was the, that fear that he had? 
What's the big deal? It's your son, it's not an enemy. What's the big deal? Rashi writes, hell opened under him. So the fire of hell, and it's about to fall there. Tell it to Santa, but claim there's no hell. You know? So, <coughs> he got very scared. The Midrash said, what fear he had more? What problem is greater? To die without leaving any children after you or to leave a wicked son? To have one kid and he's wicked. What's better, to die without children? or to die living an atheist, democrat, Bernie Sanderson. <laughs> what would be better for Bernie Sanders' father? To die without any children, or to die living such a garbage low life? Enemies of God. What, what would be better for him? What do you think? It's a solid question. Huh? We learn it from Kiskiao. You can do choose. The answer is, Rabotai, there's nothing to compare. The question does not even exist. There's no question here. Better to die without any children than to die with the wicked son like this. That's a big comfort to all the single guys and girls. There's many of them in today's generation. You try to get married and it doesn't work out. Next time when you feel down and hurt, remember these words. Statistically, most children that are born, unfortunately, in this generation are either wicked or very wicked. Most. Even those who were born and go to yeshiva, many of them go off the derech, become drug addicts, become ungrateful kids, leave the religion, some of them are gays. There's a lot of problems. I see it every minute. So next time when you think, Ma, what happened if I'll die without children? Think that there's actually something that is a lot worse. That you could have got married and have few kids and one of them will be a big Raja. Big Raja will marry his boyfriend, will join the Democrats, will be a Hasidic judge. One person told me today, one Syrian man here from Flatbush. He has a friend, Black Hat, religious man. And a religious man owned a business. And he had a secretary there, a non-Jewish black woman, who used to come to work very not modest in her clothing. And I asked her, as a religious owner, if she doesn't mind to dress more modest. They have dress code in a, in a religious company. He asked her if she can come dress modest. And she went and took a lawyer to sue him. Huh? That he has no right to tell her how to get dressed. And who was the lawyer that represented her? The Hasidic judge when she was a lawyer. Hasidic, religious. Go and sue religious Jew in a secular court of Goim and make them pay tens of thousands of dollars to this secretary prostitute for dressing like a prostitute. 
making the religious righteous owner pay the prostitute money and you represent her, not him. You understand what's happening in Sodom? And then they wonder why Hashem brings so many tragedies to us. How many people in a community on Borough Park make one beep against her? I don't think one. Uh, I think I'm the only one. I didn't know there was a system. You didn't know? Didn't know now sure. you know. Now we will yeah, test I, what you do by next Tuesday. We need a number. So, people speak against her? What, the rebels? So I take my words back. I apologize to all those who protest against them. They deserve it. It should be openly. Protest that is not open, it's not a protest. Because the wicked people are not afraid of hidden protest. It doesn't shake them up. Protest has to be by a house, day and night. Hundreds of Hasidim, shame on you. You traitor, you wicked, you moiser. You bring a shame to all of us. By the way, I have no doubt that a lot of the problems and tragedies in the area over there is because of that. No doubt in my mind. That's what Rav Moshe Feinstein said to the man that came up to his room and said to him, Rabbi, somebody just hit a Jewish boy and he died. His yamaka is on the floor. And Rav Moshe Feinstein told him he cannot be. He said, Rabbi, there's a dead kid and there's a yamaka next to his body. Who else goes with a yamaka? He said to him, it cannot be. Go and check. The guy went, came back ten minutes later. How did you know it? You have Ruach HaKodesh? Clearly. How could you possibly think that this kid will not be Jewish? You're right, it's not a Jewish kid. That's the guy that was chasing the Jew to beat him up. The Jew escaped. While he was running, his yamaka fell on the floor. And a car came and hit that aggressor. He died and the Jew got saved. But how did you know that? He was so sure about it. So he cannot be. He said, he cannot be in a place I gave all my life to learn Torah right under my apartment. A Jewish kid will get, will get hit by a car. The Torah and the good deeds of this place protect the entire neighborhood. So now learn the opposite. If the place was a prostitution home or a place of idol worshipping, or a place of producing drugs and killing kids, the whole area would suffer from it. That's why in the Torah, when they find a dead body, they have to measure the rabbis from each city that next to the body has to come and measure with a rope from the dead body which city is the closest one to the body. So you pull to city number one, 500 meters. CD number two, 550. CD number three, 700. Each distance is different. Which one is the shortest distance? They are the reason why this person died. Why? Because if they had the merit, in their neighborhood, nobody will get hurt. Just, that's what Hashem said to Abraham. If there will be 10 righteous people in Sodom, 10. I will not kill millions of others that I'm about to kill. Ten people can save millions with their good deeds. So when you see tragedies coming to town, check what changed. Ah, one of us went to be a judge in a secular Goish court, 
every day ruling against the Torah, pretending to be religious, helping wicked people against righteous, protecting them, suing innocent righteous people because they care about modesty. She couldn't tell her, I cannot take the case, I don't feel good. How can you possibly go after a black hat man that own a business and ask a person to dress modest? Doesn't matter, a Jewish girl or a non-Jewish girl, someone who comes not modest. You the owner, tell her please, over here there are religious people, we dress, we're not animals, we don't come naked to work. Please get dressed. Or go home, or you don't have to walk here. Go walk on the beach. On the beach, you don't have to get dressed. She saw the guy, and she said to him, you have two ways to settle the case and pay my client tens of thousands of dollars, or lawyers alone will cost you more than a hundred thousand. In the end, he paid her the money. Now I want you to know, Alaha, all the money that he paid to that secretary, it's count like this judge stole from him. She is responsible for that money lost. It count like she stole it from his pocket. She has to return it. According to Alakha, she caused him that damage. Now multiply it by thousands of others and you do the math. I didn't hear any protest. If you heard an open protest, I'm curious to see what they say. So Yitzchak, got very, very scared. He realized that the man that he was about to give the blessing to opened the gate of hell under his legs. I was about to do such a mistake that Hashem wants to bury me in the fire of hell. That's why he got so scared. The Orach Haim HaKadosh say, Yaakov Avinu say to Yosef, now I can die peacefully after I saw you alive. Yaakov said to Yosef, why, did, why it wasn't enough to say after I saw your face? It's obviously if I saw your face you are alive. Why do I have to say two things? Now I can die peacefully after I saw your face and after I realize you alive. You can either say after I found out you're alive, or after I saw your face. Mm -hmm. We know there's no extra word in the Torah. So why does it appear in two different versions, variations? So the Orach Haim HaKadol say, even though Yaakov found out that he's alive, you say, <coughs> it's still better to see the reality in front of your own eyes, not just by a rumor that you heard, or someone who told you that. Right? So, when he comes, he wants to see, not enough just to see that you're alive. To see how you are alive. You're still Shomer Mitzvot or not? Or you became some kind of a goy somewhere and left your Torah and everything. So Yaakov was very happy to find out two things. One, that he's alive. And second, that after all these years living in exile, like the only Jew that was there, with nobody else, he did not forget the Torah he was teaching him <coughs> and stay righteous as he was.
There's a lot more to say, but time basically ran out. Esav say Yaakov held me back twice. Once he took my Bechorah, and now he took my Bracha. Bechorah, Bracha, sounds like. Why is Esav agreed to sell the Bechorah? We already said about the prophecy. But there's a prophecy that Hashem gave to Rivka when she was pregnant. Two nations are in your womb, in your stomach. The young will serve the older. The young will serve the older. Esav thought, why do I want to be the oldest? Let me give it to him. <laughs> if I'll be the old, yeah, you know. So it says, the better that I will be the young, because the old will service the young. What did I say before? I said the opposite. The older, it will serve the youngest. That's the bracha that Rivka got when she was pregnant. That's what Shem told her when she went to ask for Mashem. But now when Yaakov became the oldest by buying the Bechorah, right? Esther found out that, that Yaakov got the blessing, you will be a master to your brother. And the children of your mother will bow down to you, meaning he's going to be my, my king. He's going to be my king. So Esav realized that all his plan to give up the Bechorah did not help him. In the end, he will still be his servant. So now he just found out that no matter what, he cannot run away from it. I want to ask you a question. What does it mean Esav is a servant of Yaakov? Esav is a lot of goyim in the world, Italy, England, Germany, Russia, a lot of them are Esav. How exactly they are the servant of the Jews? You, go, you look in the world, Jews live in different countries. Where do you see that these goyim are servant of the Jews? They're supposed to be the Paul writes that Christianity they will serve the Jewish people. <laughs> you remind me about Rav Berkovitz in Lausanne. Rav Berkovitz in Lausanne, first of all, for those who did not hear what he said, he said that uh, a part of this blessing is that all the children of Esav worship a Jew. JC. Yoshke. Yoshkale. <laughs> so, it reminds me about Rav Berkovitz from Luzan. On December 24th, he said to one Swiss man oh, in the office. Before, came the no, no, but he was in the office working and there was one guy there. <laughs> and he said to the guy, tonight is the happiest day of my life. <laughs> the guy said, but you're a Jew, Rabbi. Why is a happy day for you? It's a Christian holiday. So that's exactly it. How can I not be so happy? Two billion Christians bow down to one Jew. <laughs> After Christmas, the guy showed up, December 26th. And he said to you, you know, Rabbi, 
because of you, this was a horrible Christmas for me. <laughs> when I went to the church, I just could not pray. Why? Everything JC Jason said, I'm not going to worship that Jew. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good thing. It sounds like a joke. Maybe there's some truth into it, I don't know. But what really is the purpose of, what does it mean that children of Esav will serve the children of Israel? They're supposed to do all the work, they're supposed to sit on the supposed to Suppose, suppose, suppose. Suppose. You're also supposed to be a billionaire, you're supposed to be married by now. Suppose. It will happen, Bezrat Hashem. But until it happens, we have to judge it like it did not happen, right? So I, I don't see who serve us. Which, which, the Arabs, it's really authentic because they build all Israel and they clean and they build and they do everything for us. So that's a clear thing that you see the children of Ishmael serve the children of Israel. But the children of Esav serving the children of Israel, the answer is United States. Who's the best ally of Israel giving them, helping them? Except for now. Yeah. In the United Nations, who protects the Jews again and again and again against the anti-Semitism of the world? Everything the United Nations wanted to pass against Israel, who always vetoed that? United States. Yeah. And, 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 with one exception to the rule. Who? Hussein Obama. But he's not Esav. He's Ishmael. He's <laughs> not Esav. He's Muslim. He's Muslim, not Arab. All Arabs serve the Jewish nation. As you can see in Israel, there's not one house or one building that the Arabs did not build. I'll give you a prize. Over a hundred thousand buildings and, uh, and houses in Israel. If you find one of them that was not built by Arabs, you get a price. <laughs> Every place you go was built by Arabs. No Jews working construction. Now, by the way, they bring also Chinese and other people. But still, the Arabs are partially in the building. They bring the glasses, the trucks, the cement. cement. Remember, the Arabs, it's not what it used to be. They learned. They became independent. They opened their own businesses, their own company. They manufacture bricks. They manufacture glass. They manufacture ceramic. They, they sell the sand. They sell the cement. Basically, there's not one thing. Screws, keys, doors. Everything is Arabs. Walid, what time you bring the door tomorrow? Wallah, 12 o'clock. The question is if it's going to be tomorrow or next year tomorrow. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's already you need a lot of tailin. You call him the next day, Walid, I'm waiting for you. Where are you? Walla, not now. I'll, I'll call you in three hours. And like this, one month. Until he will show up. If you order by him a kitchen, okay, kitchen cabinets, minimum a year of waiting. <laughs> Minimum, they flooded with work. So what do they do? They take a deposit, they make for you one cabinet. They put it in the kitchen. Now wait for them one year to bring the rest. You understand what's going on or no? 
So how they serve you? They don't have to serve someone doesn't mean you have to bow down to him and cook for him and clean his clothes. It can be in a, overall, overall in the world. And like you said, basically the manufacturing of everything, making elevators, making cars, making clothes, that's serving us. Still the cars we, too. Huh? Still the cars also. Still the cars. You reminded me now about a case that happened in Israel. A bunch of Arabs came to steal a car, and the car was connected to a caravan. And in that caravan, there was a Jew, Israeli, sleeping. And you see the caravan is shaking. Why? Because the guy went into the truck. And this guy was a former security soldier. So here's a camera there. Now everywhere you have a camera. Everything that happens, they always have a video. The guy came from the other side, and you see these Arabs, there's a few Arabs in a car, and there's one Arab is starting a car, stealing the car. So just when the Arabs started to drive, he drove maybe three feet, the guy shot him and killed him. <laughs> Trial. Usually, cases like this finish with 20 years in prison to the Jew. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Why? Because if the Arab comes into your house and you shut him, mm -hmm. okay, self-defense. But first, this is on the street next to your house. Second, he already stole the car. He's already driving. Where does it say by law that for self-defense you're allowed to shoot someone who stole from you some, something? Even according to the Torah, it's not allowed. I don't know what a miracle happened here. I, know, I don't think the leftiest wicked court ever ruled something like this, ever. I don't know what was the bazaar of this guy, that they gave him nine months of social services to work in some hospital, nine months, no prison. One of the reasons is because he lost a son in a war, and he was a soldier, and he benefited Israel, and he had no criminal record, and the gun was in license, so, they argue, they say, why did you shoot him? He was already running away. Stealing a cow from you does not justify to murder the thief. So, really, if I was the lawyer of the Arab, I would tell him, why didn't you shoot the tire? All he had to do is to shoot a few times to the tire, or both of them, and he couldn't drive. He couldn't drive. Why do you have to shoot him and kill him? Technically, he deserved a few years in prison. Really. But I don't know what happened. The court basically let him go free. And now the leftists in Israel are dying. <laughs> Poor Arab, he left 10 orphans. Wow. Wow, so poor. Every day go steal car from Jews, rob them every day, systematically. That's what they do everywhere. And now finally one person had the guts to go and shoot and all the lefties are going crazy. Poor Muhammad, he left an orphan. The orphans are much better off without a father like this, for their own good. Usually cases like this end very bad for the, for the victim, because they will tell you, I'm sorry, he was already driving. Why did you shoot him? There was no life risk to you. Maybe something will change one day. Maybe it's the beginning of a change. I don't know. Because usually they're always against Jews. Always. They always take the side of the Arabs and they always take the side of the wrong thing. 
But this particular time, they actually made a mistake to the opposite side. <laughs> now, when they were actually supposed to give him a few years in prison, according to the real law, they somehow let him go. Community service. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen Amen.